Well, where, where yeah. would you like to start? What do you well, want to chat we... about? I guess I should start out with the usual. Uh, Justin Osborne, it's nice to see you. Oh, I, gotta, yes. I don't even I don't even think we said who the hell you were yet. So if people haven't met you, oh, <laughs> that's yeah. a problem. Well, thank you for having me. I was honored when you asked me to join you on this. So it's I've been listening so, for a while. It's it's great stuff. But yeah, I think it's been since you were at Forza. Um, yeah, we you were at Fortitude. You were at yeah. Fortitude. Rest in peace, right? It's kind of they, they, they killed gone, me. right? Yeah, yeah. They killed me. I mean, I was, it was fairly dated last time I was there. I was like, yeah, I think this is over. <laughs> I, I, well, they, they, uh, they, I, for whatever reason, I guess they, you know, whatever they, it's their assets. So they know what to do best with it, I suppose, but they, uh, merged it on the vortex. Yep. And so I guess the URL just points back to vortex. Everything's on the forums. Now the blog got pushed in the forums. Yeah. Galleries are all gone. Like what I took enjoyment in, in the site is, is no longer there. So it's, um, yeah. I, it is what it is. Well, well I was going to just start off by saying, uh, blow a little sunshine at you. Uh, <laughs> Excellent job with the magazine, man. The Thank you. Quattro Club magazine is like 5,000% better than it used to be. And uh, Thank you, you so guys much. have really raised the bar. It's, uh, it's, I enjoy getting it every quarter and uh, it's awesome. I, I love to hear it. it it's, um, that's probably the one of the, from, you know, having come from Fortitude and everything else, it's probably one of the parts of my job that I enjoy the most. It's just that like getting to yeah. curate and put this content together and, um, I never thought I'd be in print, but uh, I think Larry Webster, you know, Larry? Or, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Road Larry. track and Haggerty, Haggerty now. Yeah. Haggerty now. But when he moved to Haggerty, that was kind of the one thing he told me. It's like the magic is like finding a magazine that like has a, for lack of a better word, patron, right? Like a, a, a business yeah. that can keep it going. And and with the club magazines, whether it's it's any of us uh, who are in this space who run a magazine, whether it's PCA or Mercedes or BMW, whomever, it's, it's just nice to have that. Um, that at your back right like the membership is there and you don't have to really be beholden we have advertisers but we're not like you know we if they all went away tomorrow life would be tough but it wouldn't be like we could we have to stop printing so. yeah yeah well and they're so i've found the club magazines are, are so much better than the manufacturer magazines too like imagine yeah. manufacturer magazines which i don't is out even doing theirs anymore i think it's all digital they, right they killed it uh would that be the pc incorrect word they they stopped doing the one in the u.s several years ago and then yeah. um and then i think germany stopped theirs maybe last year certainly okay. during the pandemic but it's it's yeah. the hard part is i think they're under pressures of like they want to you know be a brand about sustainability and whatever else and then you know what's that's hard to do when you're putting out print magazines yeah. and um, a super just, high I, quality paper. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the, materially, I was so jealous of what they had. Yeah, to work I bet. I bet. <laughs> when we redesigned, it was like, I'm just trying to get like close to their orbit, right? With the material. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's like, you know, we can't afford that, but. Well, but, yeah, it's it great amazing. stuff. So thank you thank for you. doing all that you guys do with that thing. It's uh, it's a pleasure to read it every month. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. And I'll say this is like, whether it's for you or anybody listening, one of the, one, uh, one of the other joys of working on the book uh, sometimes a challenge, but usually a joy is that uh, one of the motivations with a club magazine is getting readers uh, and members in particular to volunteer and contribute. And, um, yeah. you know, so it, I mean, we'll get to uh, so what some of your contributions are in the upcoming issue. But but 
we're always open to that. We, you know, whether it's you or, or folks listening, whatever, we, it's a great platform to be published in and, you know, show your mom if you have the issue. <laughs> I have, yeah. I have well, the new issue here, oh, you know. Yeah, so. the, four co- the four cover trick too. That's good. I'd like to do more of that. We, we did that yeah. this time around. I've been wanting to do it for a while and I pulled the trigger on Brian's car because, you know, between him and Ken, they had a great photo set and whatever, but. Well, when you posted that thing on social media asking for us to vote, I figured that he's doing all those. There's no way. Yeah, there's no right. way. There's just one. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that was that was. It's funny though. Like this was. It's, this is the one on my desk because it's the one I like the most. But it was yeah. literally the least picked. <laughs> like, oh, like, funny. I liked it probably because it was like the least news newsstand necessary cover. Yeah. It was a little bit out there and. Yeah. Great stuff. So I'll start by saying we're going to get to like our main reason for talking is, the, well, not main yeah. reason, but one of the main reasons for talking and, and certainly why you're in the next issue of the magazine is uh, a trip you recently took in your car. We'll get yeah. to that. Okay. Could we start out by maybe, I, like you mentioned earlier, I met you first when you were, um, when you were working for Forza, um, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm going to guess your car enthusiasm goes much further back than that. So yeah. uh, can we get like the the quick uh up to speed on on who you sure. are and where you come from yeah sure so uh again justin osmer pleasure to meet you and uh, all the listeners thanks for having me uh car passion started for me really since i was born like my dad said my first word was car uh <laughs> and Which i'm sure your mom loved. yeah and so I, i've been kind of hooked ever since um my dad was a i would say a car guy car person uh, he had some BMWs when I was in the informative years uh, of my uh, teens, and uh, I fell in love with that. Family car was a uh, Volvo 850 turbo wagon that I got to drive and cause a bunch of trouble in. And that, that was your was, first car? That was No, that was the family car, so I, that was not my first car. I'll well, get to that in for, a minute, but that was the first car. First I got car to, you got to drive? Got to drive, yeah. Got to drive, got to push. Uh, did a lot of stupid, crazy things with that car, but that also started sort of my love, I think, for wagons as well. And we can get to that later. But um, so, yeah, longtime enthusiast, uh, avid reader of every magazine I could get my hands on. Uh, loved watching all the racing and, and some of the shows on TV uh, and just really started consuming all of it uh, all the time. And then was one of those uh, sort of frustrated enthusiasts uh, growing up, not being able to really afford my own car. Uh, didn't get a car till I was in college. Um, have never been honestly a, a, a greasy uh, knuckle guy as much as I wish I could be. Um, I've changed an alternator and changed some oil and done some basic maintenance things, but there's no way I could do like what Scotto does, for example, right? Like I, right. the stuff Brian Scotto does, I just blows my mind. So people like that, I have a ton of respect for, uh, but I, I'm not in that realm, uh, but I'm definitely passionate about it and, and love, love the vehicles. And so as I got, you know, through college and kind of into my career, I started to realize that I wanted to get a nice car at some point and um, kind of bounced around a little bit, uh, worked in Seattle for a long time, born and raised in Seattle, uh, went to Western Washington University up in Bellingham, uh, just north of the city, about an hour and a half out of Seattle. Um, spent some time in Chicago working, sold my car when I moved to Chicago because I didn't feel like I needed one there. Um, 
and then moved back, bounced around a few other places, and then uh, got into Microsoft um, at one point and had my sort of eyes on what they were doing over in Xbox and Forza just because of my interest in, in automotive. And that was right around the time I was able to get kind of what I'd call my first nice car, um, new car too, um, which was my 2003 A4 3.0 six-speed Avant, nice. uh, which I still have today and Do you really? uh, don't intend on selling it ever. I love it. Um, brought both my kids home from the hospital in it after they were born, That's fantastic. Uh, taught my son how to drive manual in it although he hasn't really continued on in the manual lifestyle, but, um, but he knows I what he's tr- tried. Yeah. He can at least yeah. get it going if he needs to, uh, daughter wants to learn to drive in it too. So yeah, I love that car to Great. pieces. Um, after it was determined, he, my son wasn't going to drive it. I took it in and got all the bumps and bruises taken out of it, got it resprayed. Huh. And so yeah, it's 130 some thousand miles on it. So not a ton of miles, but, um, just no, love that car. So how great that was that you my still first- have it. Yeah, and that was my first Audi, and kind of what turned me on to the brand specifically. I give credit to uh, the racing efforts, uh, and it was a Le Mans 2002. I was watching, and I can't remember which which car it was, but one of the cars broke down overnight, essentially, and they tore down the entire back end, put it back out on the track, and they won the race. And I yeah. turned to my wife and I said, "Yeah, I think my." car is going to have to be an Audi. So that's when we started looking at Audis. <laughs> oh, that's and cool. It was the next spring I, I bought one. So um, so that that car has been with me for a real long time. Uh, love that car. And then uh, from there, decided to keep it. Somehow my wife agreed to let me keep it. And I got a second Audi, which was an S3 um, back in 2014, I want to say. Nice. Um, and loved that car, but had my eye on the RS3 because uh, I saw that that was coming and was hoping it would come to the States. Uh, so had the S3 as sort of a stopgap waiting, hoping that they would bring the RS3. And then as soon as they announced that they were bringing the RS3, I ran down to the dealership and put my name on the list. And uh, Seattle Audi is my, my go-to spot down there. And they've got a, yeah. a funny little spiral notebook with all the, all the dream cars that we don't know are, if they're ever going to come or not. And I'm on almost every page. <laughs> oh, they my have name like the wait list for each yeah. model. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's funny. pretty fun. It's pretty funny. So, um, so that, you know, people ask, how'd you get the RS6? Well, that's, I was in the notebook. That's how I got Were the RS6. Early? I was in the notebook very early. But anyway, yeah, I won't go through the whole list of all the cars, but, yeah. you know, went from S3 to RS3 to RS6. Um, we also have been through Q5s and Q7s and had the e-tron uh, SUV, which we loved, but ran into some range issues with that. So I had Did to you? relinquish that and go back to the Q7. Uh, but my wife loved it so much that we got the A3 e-tron uh, electric hybrid, uh, found one of those used. And so she loves that, being able to blast around town, it's still all electric. Um, right. So, yeah, so longtime Audi person, it, it, and it really goes all the way back to that Le Mans event. And when I was looking at the original A4, the guy, uh, name was Tug, I don't know whatever happened to Tug, but he was a sales guy and he popped the hood in the showroom and he said, run your fingers along this, this seam here. And it was the time when the Seattle Auto Show was in town. And he goes, okay, now when you go down to the show, I want you to go do that on the BMWs and the Mercedes and all the other cars. Oh. And lo and behold, like you go along and it was a rough seam, you know, like rip your finger kind of stuff. 
Yeah, he yeah. Said, that's why you want an Audi. It's like, okay. So, Man, yeah, been hooked point. ever since. I don't know what it is. Right. I just love the design. I love the performance. Um, I saw the C7 RS wagons um, in Europe, and I was like hooked. I was like, oh my god, though that that's what we need. Um, right. And was just hoping and pleading and waiting that they would bring it to the bring it to the states. Uh, and uh, as you well know. Um, you know, they had that little teaser campaign and I was like, okay, they can't, that would be too cruel if they were teasing yes, us about right. the anniversary of the RS and then not bring it here. Yeah. Uh, so again, ran down to the dealer, made sure I was on the list on the, in the, in the notebook and hold the, you know, cross my fingers and was fortunate enough to get that in December of uh, 2020. Oh, that is pretty so, early for an RS6. Yeah. I, uh, the funny thing was I placed the order the week before the pandemic and everything sort of shut down. Right. Um, and it was my leaving Microsoft present to myself. Um, mm. So went into the dealer and did that. And then a week later, everything shut down. And then originally was going to get the car in August, but then obviously because slowdowns and everything else, it showed up right. in December. Um, and was going to take, as soon as I got it, was going to take a road trip with my buddy, decided to wait on that. But we pushed that out too and waited through the pandemic some. But yeah, absolutely love the RS6. And uh, I think if they brought the RS4, I would be tempted just because I like the size. But I think- I'm going to tell you, I'm in, I'm in the same same place, right? Like I traded an yeah. S5 Sportback on my RS6 and I love the RS6. I do. But the size of that S5 Sportback was just so- yeah. like I wish they would do- is it if they, if they were going to build an Audi just for me, it would be like an RS5 Avant, right? Like the Sportback, oh, yeah. but like like the lower roof line. I just love the proportions of it, the five yeah. better. But like, but the long roof would just be, man, that'd be that'd be about perfect. Although I, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna just deal with it <laughs> in this RS6. No sympathy for you well, or me. Yeah, in that and tribute edition too, man. That was quite a find. I was like, oh, look at him. That, that was such a lucky and that that helped me sell it but we the car turned up on for those who if you want to know how to replicate what i did should it happen again um i was thinking about same thing like covid whatever you only live once maybe we should do this right prices are kind of insulated on the rs6 had kind of been talking to my wife about it and we were thinking about ordering maybe i should wait for the facelift and then this thing pops up at a jag dealer in la um and they it was listed as navara blue which is the color you have yeah. um which is a standard color. And, and uh, it was, it was basically its original sticker price with 5,000 miles on it. So um, I called them. <laughs> I had a friend go look at it as soon as he would. Dennis Bomarkov, who shoots for the magazine. Dennis is on FaceTime and he's like, I could see the sales guy in the background and he's looking at it and he goes, I don't think they know what they have. And I'm like, shut up, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, but, but we made, I, I, there were, it took like a week and a half to get the deal done. And I thought surely somebody's going to swoop in and grab this thing and nobody did. So yeah. that's great. That's great. Right. Well, yeah, the, the not sure what they have trick. That's a, that's a great one. That's, that's how I got my 85 coupe. It was on Craigslist guy in New yeah. York had it listed on Craigslist and, I was convinced he didn't really know what he had. Um, so I pulled the trigger on that. Unfortunately, sold that this year. Love that yeah. car. But yeah, I got that in 2018 because I was actually looking for a, a, an Avant, like an 80s, mid 80s, you know, right. big wagon. And But then saw that and I'm like, well, that's kind of fun. It's four, front wheel drive. It's a little different. 
you know, everybody thinks it's a Quattro, even though it's not. Right. Um, so I, I enjoyed the analog experience of that car tremendously and found a bit of a gem and uh, just sort of maintained it and kept it going. And, uh, but I just wasn't with the pandemic, everything else, I wasn't driving it enough and I had to store it somewhere else and it was costing me money. And it's like, yeah, I gotta, sure. gotta unload that. The car math in me was happy because I got more than I paid for it. But then my wife's like, yeah, but how about that year <laughs> storage and all the other, I'm like, no, no, that's not yeah, part yeah. of the oh, We don't count that. <laughs> yeah, it's not part <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah. insurance no no yeah. no no yeah so yeah i'm excited to see what they do with that electric you know platform they announced and teased with us i mean it looks pretty good um, yeah that a6 electric avant looks really nice I gotta yeah say, that's yeah i would hope that we're helping blaze some trails with the the wagon and uh they'll be interested to bring that here but who knows i, I know the estates are a tough sale you know, I wonder how that plays out though, right? Like uh, when I was watching, now granted, I so I bought last August and the market was up, but not like it is now. Yeah. And it looked like the RS6s were holding their prices better than uh, RSQ8 or RS7 at that mm -hmm. time. I mean, everything's so inflated now, who knows? But like residuals is what it's all about. And so um, if, if the A6 holds or the Mont holds its value better, maybe they'll continue to see reason for it. I don't know. I can only hope. Yeah. I'm trying to do every reason in my head and talk about it on this show. So the product planners like it out here, like, Oh yeah, we should totally do that. That makes total sense. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm hoping social media helps too. We just flood them right. with messages and heart emojis and stuff to just say, yeah, we like it. Yeah. Bring it, bring it. Um, and and I've got to believe that range will be better because the tech is just getting better. You know, we, we did so that what's that i think that's what ppe or whatever the new platform is for electric for the bigger more luxurious um than what meb like id buzz and q4 is on yeah but um i did the tech day when they showed this or not tech day but the sport back press launch virtual during the pandemic yeah. uh, when they showed the concept car and they were saying i don't know how the euro cycle works but they were saying like over 400 miles range on the euro cycle um so how that compares to what real world would be or us i don't know but yeah. um it's it sounds better than what the e-tron is which is you know as you mentioned was a challenge for you we have one it's it's fine for us but i'm not i'm not taking long trips in it every day and and um yeah yeah so i i would totally see us trading our e-tron on one of those yeah I, we we love the e-tron uh took a little while to get used to it. it was our first electric car but um once we did we were hooked but then we were doing a trip over the over the Cascades here in Washington, not with the e-tron on this particular drive, but we're headed over and then they closed the highway because there was a car fire and they turned everybody around. Yeah. And I just looked at my wife, I'm like, if we were in the e-tron, we would be trapped because we would yeah. have run out of range by the time we came back down. And there was no charging infrastructure, you know, the charge Couldn't America just stuff. Couldn't regen the whole way just, down? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. So. So that's what kind of, unfortunately, was the nail in the coffin there. It's just like, yeah, if there's, there's just not enough recharging in our neck of the woods. Tesla's done such a great job there, of course, everywhere. And they yeah. thought we're going to open up their system to everybody. But um, we're still woefully behind, in my opinion, on, on recharging network stuff. It, it's getting better. But yeah, we did Maine last summer in our e-tron and it was, it was challenging. And by challenging, I mean, frustrating as heck, but like, as you're driving up 95, um, past all these rest stops where these, you know, Tesla charging stations are and yeah. supposedly 
Elon says what next year or this year, whatever, he's going to open it up to everybody else. But like, I think like the truck, it hasn't happened yet. Right. So we'll right. see when it happens, but like, but then, you know, you, you, there were less stops. Now electrify America is getting better. I know in the two years we've had ours, there are way more major route charging stations than there were the, the first time I, the first time, what, within 60 days of buying the thing, I took it up to, um, to Vermont and like Vermont wow. was like, there was nothing for charging yeah. up there. Yeah. So it's way better now, but yeah, I, I have to imagine a couple of years. That's the, that's the balance for everybody. Everybody who wants to do it. Like you got to have your charging figured out. If you don't have that. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Cause I, awesome. I mean, I, I don't mind planning a trip around having to recharge just say same way you would fill up the gas tank. I just yeah. want to have the ability to do it <laughs> in enough right. convenient locations. Um, I don't need them all over town because it, you know, charging at home and that works great, but right, longer, the thing, anything right. over 150 miles, you're like, well, that's, it's totally, it's the highways, right? If they put them yep. at rest stops, like the, those rest stops I was seeing in Connecticut on 995, like that fixes it all, right? Like yep. I don't, I don't need it around town. Like the, the couple of times I've been at like charging stations at malls or Walmarts, like unless they're near the highway, what's the point? You're going to charge at home. You're not driving 200 miles between malls. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 if I was at Shell or Mobile One, I, I would be investing in electric, you know, just yeah. put a bank of those next to your gas station, be a, a full service for everybody. But I understand that but, probably is a bit of a conflict for them. I was reading in the Washington Post, God love this guy, there's a, it was, I think it was in Silver Spring, a guy who owned a, uh, um, Silver Spring, Maryland, owned a gas station and a convenience store, right? And his daughter, who's an electric proponent, was like, you need to change, you know, make this change. And so he took out all his gas pumps and made them uh, electric charging pumps. But I was thinking, like, from a business standpoint, like, when you have a convenience store, you need turns. Right? <laughs> like, so yeah. everybody's coming in for, like, the, the amount of cars driving through your convenience store now, probably not so great. So, like, I hope he's doing all right. <laughs> like, I'm not right. so sure it was the, the smartest move yet. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe a little ahead of himself. All right, so we could go all on about Etron and everything else, but I, I do want to make sure we get to one year trip, which is the main point of this. Sure. But I'm sure most people would be at least a, a bit curious about uh, your time at Forza and oh yeah, and, uh, kind of. Could you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Expandable. Yeah. Sorry, I got I got all wound up on cars and forgot about that. No, piece. no. Yeah. So we're going to do a lot of that. Weasel. <laughs> yeah. Weaseled my way into Microsoft. Uh, felt very fortunate to to get in there and and started on the MSI, MSN side of the business doing uh, public relations work and had, as I mentioned, had my eye on the Xbox group and what they were doing. And then had the opportunity to meet some folks at the studio and in the broader Xbox marketing org and shared, we had a sort of a mutual share for uh, cars and, and a passion there. There was a local race team uh, in Seattle that was running the Daytona 24 hours for Children's Hospital. So basically every lap, they would donate money to Children's Hospital. Um, right. It's now grown into, um, I want to say it's the heart of racing. You'll see that on, on a lot of cars now these days. Um, I think they were just at Formula Drift now with an Aston Martin, a bunch of other stuff. So they've expanded quite a bit from the early days, but they, so they came to Microsoft to be a donor and it made sense that it fell into the MSN group at that point for some reason. And so I was trying to pull together a broader cross company thing and just trying to figure out where 
everybody had fingers in automotive sectors. So there was an automotive group that was doing a lot of behind the scenes tech, you know, in-car tech stuff. There was the, obviously the consumer side with the gaming and Forza. There was interest on the MSN side with maps and other stuff that they were doing and then just general marketing and awareness. So I was, I basically pulled together this group internally of people that seemed to have their sort of fingers in automotive trying to figure out, was there something we could do that would be bigger than what we had started to do? Didn't really go anywhere, unfortunately, but made a lot of great connections around the company. And somebody threw my hat in the ring for an opening job on the Xbox business. Uh, and so was fortunate enough to make it through that interview and started on the Xbox marketing side, basically supporting the studios and yeah. did some time on Halo and did some time on some other games and other platform stuff. Um, but then eventually kind of whistled my way over into Forza and was fortunate enough to uh, come in in 2009 to support uh, the launch of Forza Motorsport 3. So the product had already been planned and launched and created. Okay. I came in to basically help maintain the business. And that was the year that the Audi R8 was on the cover. Um, <clears throat> and so that's when I think you and I first met because I wanted to make sure you had, because I was following your site, following what you guys were doing. I want to make sure you had a copy of the game and could review it and all that stuff. Yeah. So I think I sent you a box of stuff to give away and yeah, that was, else. so I think that's that how you and I fun. first met digitally. I, I don't think totally. we've ever met in person, but we've definitely been mm -hmm. in touch uh, through email through the years. But so that's what started for me. And then was fortunate enough to move to the next, the Forza Motorsport 4 game. I was responsible for the marketing of it. So the way that they're set up at Xbox, it's changed a little bit now, but in the early days, basically marketing supported the studios and the marketing leads were product, product managers, basically that would work with the field around the world to bring the game to the market. So we were kind of the in-between from the studio. We'd get all the details about the game. We would send them, send the studio, you know, consumer feedback and research and marketing message, all that kind of stuff. And then they would output, well, here's the game. Here's all the stuff. How do you sell it? Communicate that out to the market uh, and all the regions around the world. And at that time, you know, retail stuff like GameStop, Best Buy was a huge part of it too. So preparing all the materials that go in all the stores mm. and making sure when you walk into Best Buy, all the TVs were at Forza on them for launch week. So a lot of focus there and around the world. So did that with Forza Motorsport 4 and Forza Motorsport 5. And at the same time, was able to launch uh, Forza Horizon 1, uh, which was outstanding. And in that period, we realized that uh, we were leaving a lot of opportunity on the table because at that time we had a lot of partners reaching out to us saying, hey, we would love to be more than just a licensed product in the game. Like, can we do hmm. some marketing? Can we do some promotion with you? And so that's when a, a, a switch got flipped and we realized, okay, well, maybe we need to have somebody focus on partnership. And so I took that baton. They brought in somebody else to help manage the day-to-day and did that for a couple of years, working hand in hand with the business team at the studio. And that was great because it was basically, you know, working with the cover car partners, for example, or other brands that were in the game to help them get the absolute most out of the opportunity. But then also for us at Forza to then leverage their audience and reach more people and help grow, um, grow the game. And then Horizon sort of took off um, 
we were, I know I say we were surprised because you always go into a project like that wanting to have success, but it just right. hockey sticked and, and we were like, wow, this is fire right here. So fire in a box. Right. So that just helped elevate things to another level. And the beauty of bringing that product into the fold was it allowed us to have a game every year in market. Because typically the games took about two and a half years to build. So we would do, we would launch a game basically every two years, but now we could do a cadence and just offset them and have one every year. And so that just allowed the, the, the game franchise to just explode for us, which was great. And then so, we got to a point where it made sense to have me move down to the studio and be closer to the business side of yeah. the studio and the partners. And I was a bit of a fish out of water in the marketing org at the time. So transitioned down to the studio and helped negotiate bringing in other partnerships um, like Hot Wheels and James Bond and things like that to help, again, help elevate the brand and get us more audience and more attention. So did that for a number of years, had a great, great time. And then in 2019, decided it was time to take a break after 15 plus years of the company to just take a little breather, spend some time with my kids. My son was getting ready to go to college and had some other personal stuff I wanted to take care of. So just decided to take a break. And then unfortunately, a couple months into that break, the pandemic happened, which threw a few of the right. plans sideways. But, um, you know, so that was that was that. And then we can circle back. I know you have some questions, but just real quick. Yeah. Took that year off. Had a number of people reach out to me over that year saying, hey, could you help me with this or that or other thing? And so I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe I should maybe hang my own shingle and try my own thing. And so in um, early 2021, I founded my own consulting company uh, called Turn In Point Consulting, basically supporting the automotive sector with partnerships with marketing and with game strategy. Uh, so people that you know know they need to be in gaming or want to be in gaming but don't mm. know how or don't know what, um, or they're already in gaming and just need some help honing that in, uh, or just working on uh, developing partners and partnerships or sales or whatever. So. Is that, uh, is a, that automotive or is that pretty much anybody? Yeah, who automotive. Thinks... Yeah, I'm trying to stay automotive just because that's where my passion is and that's where right. most of my contacts are. Um, and so far, I've been able to do that, uh, but happy, to, you know, would expand if I needed to to other sectors or other categories. But automotive has been keeping me busy for the most part. So, yeah, so a little ways into year two of that venture and it's going pretty well. Um, doing some work with grid life right now, which is a pretty cool amateur Great. racing organization that does a ton of great events around the series, country. Yeah. yeah. And they're putting together a really cool event um, in August. Um, unfortunately, same time as Pebble beach, but they're calling it sort of the East coast version called circuit legends, where they're going to be bringing together a bunch of the mid eighties to early 2000 uh, oh. GT cars that sort of kicked off what we would consider the modern age of modified right. vehicles. And then they'll sprinkle in their grid life stuff on top of it. So there'll be time attack and a bunch of other on track activities. You say it's, it's conflict with Monterey. Yeah. It's the same weekend as Monterey, but it's going to be out at Lime Rock uh, in Connecticut. Yeah. So um, should be great. So working with them on that right now, and that, that should be a really cool event. And I uh, got a few other things in the hopper too. So it's been good. Uh, but yeah, the time at Forza was a bit of a, a dream job for a car nut like myself. Uh, got to see some amazing things, met some amazing people. Um, it was a great, great experience. Yeah, I would imagine. It seemed like they had an, a, a, 
an excellent team and, you know, just the diversity there, whether it was, I think I met Dan in an Audi event right around the time when they were, um, uh, Dan Greenwald, when they were, yep. when they were doing the, um, the, I guess the Audi tie-in, he attended some event that Audi was holding that I was a journalist at. And then I knew Kim Wolfkill from the, from his time at Road and Track. So, yep. um, just an interesting automotive, uh, team yeah. you had there. So I, I got a couple questions from the, the land you covered. One is sure. uh, Forza Horizon. Was it was it was the same thing when you guys came out with it? I was like, what is this? And then I played it. I was like, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't yeah. it wasn't as technical as as uh, as the regular driving sim was. But it was it with the open environment and the kind of social nature of it was such a, a game changer, I think. Was that is that do you think that those were the elements that kind of made it what it is? Or were there something else that just kind of had this? Well, yeah, it's it, it's technically an open world game um, yeah. and a casual, what we call a casual racing game. So, you know, we take liberty with the physics and some of the other things right. uh, to make it a little more playful, a little bit more fun. But the, I think there was a realization that motorsport was great and there was a ton of passion around motorsport. But looking at the industry and some of the other games out there, it's like, well, what if we, you know, took the engine that built Forza and the dynamics and all the stuff about the cars and the high level of detail, but then loosened it up a little bit to make it a little bit more playful and, and have a little bit of a, a more of a lifestyle angle on it. Right. And that's where it was born and, and got really fortunate in hooking up with Playground Games out of the UK, outstanding crew started by a bunch of ex-Codemaster guys. And we basically RFP'd the, the game and they had the best pitch and so basically signed them up and there was only about five of them i think at the start um but they ramped pretty quick and had a great view of you know sort of coachella meets goodwood meets you know monterey meets you know whatever other cool car event you can think of sort of that combination of car passion as well as music lifestyle fun and uh, all built around the Forza engine with the great looking cars. And so what we immediately found was it expanded our audience, uh, both from a gender perspective, had a ton more female players Risk coming fighter. in. Yep. Yeah. And then also had a, a whole new age range as well because the controls were a little easier, wasn't quite as technical. So a lot of the younger kids got involved and got hooked into it. And so, yeah, the idea of sort of traveling around the world to different places uh, is really great concept. You know, the first one was in Colorado with the Viper. Um, and that was a cool program because the Viper had just come out. So at E3, we basically had a, a buck, like a, no, it had no drivetrain. It was just a, a clay buck that was painted <laughs> in our booth because um, it was still so early in their development, um, but it had a great, you know, sort of launch of that thing at E3, which is the big gaming conference every summer in LA. And um, yeah, I don't think the teams look back since then. I mean, it's just gotten better and better and bigger and bigger. And the last iteration that just launched this last fall was the last one that I have a fingerprint on because the Bronco that shares the cover with the AMG um, GT1 car, um, I helped broker that deal oh, with Ford. You? and saw the Broncos in Claybuck in the design center and, you know, 
again, one of those things that you get to see, but you can never talk about until it's public. So, so it was super cool to see that come to life and see the Bronco in the game and see Vaughn getting stuff in the game and all of that. So that was kind of the last thing I touched before I left uh, back in 19. Do you, um, I I will say that's something that, so I, probably like you if did you game before you got pulled into the xbox team yeah i was uh, well it's funny because you know we of course we look at our our categories of customers i would not be defined as a gamer if you looked at the the categories um but i definitely played games but i was not playing all the time i had you know the first playstation played the original gran turismo right um you know all of that so um, that's where I was going with that. It's yeah. like that. I think what one of the things that drew me into Forza when it came out was like you said or something earlier. I, I find it very similar. Like, and I, I, I tend to point to Matt Farrow when I hear this, uh, like try and liken it because I think he puts it best, which is like, I can do other stuff really well, right? Like I can run a website. I can do all these things. Wrenching cars, I don't do so well. So like I let other people do that and I do stick to what I do well. But what I thought was yeah. so cool about the first Forza was like, you had this ability to, or I don't know if it was Forza 1, I'm trying to remember when all this would have come into play, you could probably tell me better, but like when you could do, you know, not only do settings and sell your settings for like suspension or whatever else for a particular car in the, in the yeah. online kind of exchange, but you could also do liveries and, and designs yeah. that, like I remember I did, remember that 2009, I actually pulled this up because I had, uh, while you're talking here, um, this thing. The 2009 R15. Oh, yes. Yep. I had yep. one of these models. It's actually over here in my office. So I just don't want to go off screen to get it. But like I have one of these models. It's like that that livery is impossible. But it, you guys had the car in the yep. in the game, but not the Lamar winner. So I basically like rebuilt the Lamar winner, um, which I don't think this is. And and uh and, <laughs> I like put it in the store and like it was just the cash cow, right? Like it would just keep making cash and I could buy more cars. Yep. And it was great. But but where I'm going with that is it like turned on. It's one of the challenges we face at club, right? Where traditionally in, in clubs core is high performance driving events and, and driver education. And that always will be. But trying to turn on, especially younger kids who are like more, maybe more visual into photography and other things like you, you can you can hit on that. And I'm sure Horizon just amped it that much more where you had multiple interests going into this game that wasn't just about setting up a car for a fastest lap time. Yeah. yeah, there yeah, there were a lot of firsts that the the Turn 10 Studios and the Playground Games uh development guys brought to the table. Um, you know, from the driving line that changed color oh, right. you know, based yeah. on the braking to the livery editors to the photography stuff. Um, a lot of great groundbreaking tech was in there. Again, to expand the audience. I mean, there was a time where we had people in motorsport and in horizon that never drove or raced the cars. All they did really? was livery design or all they did was tuning setups and then they would sell those setups. Um, so, and, and there's also a booming photography group too, where all they do is just go in and photograph stuff. They don't ever really drive the cars or participate mm. in the online play. They just want to get in and, and be part of the community that way. And that's what's so sort of brilliant about Horizon is just sort of expanded that idea of community. And I know they're, putting a ton of effort into the next version of motorsport whenever that's going to show up um, that will probably have a lot of those elements that will just continue to evolve to in, to get more people engaged and um, you know bringing more of it to life is it wild for you working with now you mentioned you're working with grid life grid life almost seems like their model is like they looked at horizon and were like hmm, this would be cool in real life 
right? Well, it's funny. They're, they launched right around the same time the original Horizon launched. And, and it was actually, you mentioned Matt Farah. So we were, you know, we were on his podcast quite a few times. And when Dan and I were doing the media tour on Horizon, he's like, oh my God, guys, you got to go to this Horizon Festival because it's just like the game. And he'd done, you know, he'd been out to it a couple of times. And, and so I, I eventually met those guys and stayed in touch. We were never able to bring them into the game, unfortunately, during my time there. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's basically Horizon in real life. I mean, it's celebrating yeah. cars, throwing in some music concerts, car shows, you know, it's all, it's all there. Uh, but yeah, ironically, it started right around the same time. Did you ever get over to Rothesey in Austria? No, unfortunately. So it's not. like the you know VW Audi yeah. tuning show. Yeah. I I'd only gotten my chance. Like I think while uh, my business partner Vortex Jamie, I think did it four or five times. I only got over once, but it was amazing yeah. to me. And even from afar, when we would like work out um, coverage of it, right? Like we'd have a couple of photographers, like the people who really. They'd been there from the beginning and they just wanted to stay away from the crowds now, which literally show up like two weeks beforehand and then stay for a couple of days. And people would just kind of casually roll into like the main festival week. And while it wasn't like, I mean, they might have had concerts and stuff there, too. It always seemed to me it was kind of like that, right? Like you roll around and the next yeah. day you might, you know, roll up to like a, a like a lookout tower on a mountain or, or, you know, down to a lake or whatever. But you have all these very much like Forza, right, where you're just kind of going and checking places out. Yeah. And um, it always seems so magical to me because there really wasn't much like that here in the U.S. But um, yeah, so it's it's cool that it's becoming that. I mean, it's cool to do virtually too, but doing it in yeah, person. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, the, the virtual stuff's just amazing. Like the car meets online and the people that would just get in Horizon and just go cruise together virtually um, yeah. was just really cool to see. And and some of that was definitely intentional in the design of the game, but I think a lot of it was surprising just how much it got adopted and and how much people really enjoyed it uh huh. so yeah it was super cool i have a ton of respect for all those folks at the studios and uh you know continue to follow them and love what they so do what you, you're you're doing with turn in now i guess i would ask the other thing is like um this is probably far from i don't remember the earliest days i with with the car with nerding out car wise was it was it Need for Speed? I remember like early on these video games I would play on my PC in like college and stuff, right? Like where it would be, yeah, it would be like, I think that was one where the police chased you or whatever. That was but, a good one. That, the original right. one with the police, that was a good one. And, and yeah. do you remember, early, this would have been like mid to late 90s. You could like go on, there were sites where you could download patches of like, you could, I remember you mentioned your Volvo 850 T5. Like, yeah. I remember for, at the time I had an 850R and I found a, a patch somewhere online that I could plug into my Need for Speed and get, like an 850R in the game and was like, boom, oh. <laughs> like, my, like, yeah. like instead of Ferrari or whatever, like a yeah. cool Ferrari roof Porsche. I'm into all those, but like the reality was I could have my car in the video game and be chased by police and run from police at it. So like, yeah. um, I guess where I'm going with that is like, we're so far from that. And that would have been obviously all enthusiast driven people just kind of modeling these cars out today. It's very complicated with licensing and, and everything else in particular, probably every logo, um, we're showing my shirt with a rally car on it. Every logo on a rally car or a race car probably needs, I know it yeah. might need licensing, right? So like, yeah. how hard is it to put that, you know, I'm, I showed that RA15 a few minutes ago. How far is that to even put in the game anymore with like, you need Audi's okay and you need Michelin's okay. And you need, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it takes a lot. They've got a big licensing team at the studio. 
that manages all those relationships. Um, it's in the um, certainly in the thousands of, of partners. And my, you know, I would basically just work with like the top 25 partners and that was kind of it. But then there right. was, you know, hundreds and hundreds after that of people that just every single logo in the game basically needs to be licensed or approved. For a long time, you know, it was a studio reaching out to pay a licensing fee to have those things in the game. But then it also transitioned to companies reaching out to the studio saying, we want to be in yeah. there. What does it, what do we need to do? It and then it's like, well, okay, you can pay us to put your stuff in there. Right. Um, and then there's the middle ground of it's just a co-marketing relationship. They're scratching our back. We'll scratch their back kind of thing too. So it came to a point where almost a tipping point where it went the other way, where there were more people calling to be a part of it and just trying to keep up with that loads of requests coming in. But you're right. Trying to bring a race car into the game is, is a little tricky. Um, it took, you know, back in the day, I think it's probably changed now in the couple of years I've been gone, but back in the day, it was basically a year uh, to get a car because they would source the car. We would get all the technical detail from the manufacturer. We'd get CAD drawings. We'd get all that stuff from them. Then we would go source it ourselves and get hands-on pictures, high-res, you know, hundreds of pictures, detailed stuff all the way down to little bolts and things um, mm. to then layer on you know, the data they sent us and then we build it all in the, in the bespoke Forza engine to bring the cars to life. Uh, so a ton of effort goes into it on the front end, just from a development standpoint and a performance standpoint. But then the, the, the liveries and the layer on top of that, another whole process that takes almost a year too. Sometimes you'll get a race team that has rights over the whole vehicle or even a race series for a long time. Uh, IMSA had basically control over the whole series. So they're like, yeah, those are all approved. And it was great. Um, yeah. And so every once in a while that will happen. Um, but a lot of the time, especially a lot of the one-off older cars, you've got to go every single icon, every single logo on it. It's got to get chased down. And that gets tricky with some of the older ones. You know, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but some of the older ones that don't exist anymore, but they right. still have yeah, who do you licensing rights owned by tell some. Telefunken Porsche or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, who do you call? It's, yeah, it's owned yeah. by some weird, you know, offshore venture capital firm or something. You know, there's right. just crazy stuff that you got to chase down to try and get the things approved. And then every once in a while, you can't get it approved. So it just ends up being a little white square on the, on the side of the car. Um, so that, you know, that happens too. Is that the brilliance of letting people create their own graphics? <laughs> like, so if well, I yeah, create a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah, because it's consumer, yeah, user created yeah. content, UGC um, is a little bit of a loophole there. Um, but then like your example too, allows you to bring in your, um, you know, your best example of what you're most passionate about too. So right. that's, um, that was another opportunity there. Man, thanks for, <laughs> I've always been curious of like how hard that is. And, and yeah. um, I miss, yeah, like it's I miss tricky it. Cause you always, you know, you want to have, you know, the rule that we went by for a long time was you had to have three cars in the game. You had to have a car that you uh, grew up with the poster on your wall of, you know, the one that you were sort of your fantasy car. So for me, that'd be a Lamborghini Countach. Yeah. And then you need to have the car that you, that's maybe attainable, but not quite yet. So you're like, you've got your, uh, you know, for me in high school, it was like, uh, you know, 
turbo something something you know so you're just like okay yeah. i've got my eyes on that wrx you know i really want that but i'm i'm in the base model right now um and then you need to have the existing car that you own so if you have those three cars for any player then you sort of satisfy so then all of a sudden the list goes <laughs> grows really big real quick um and then you want to get the new cool cars obviously that are coming to market and then from a partnership standpoint we always wanted to get the ones that were launching so like the right. mclaren senna or the Porsche GT2 RS or whatever it is, we want to bring those into the game and celebrate them in a unique way and build out a big cool program about you know activation around it and all of that stuff. Totally. So the list gets very long very quickly. And then you know some companies are a little easier to work with than others. And that gets to be a problematic sometimes with negotiations around licensing and everything else. So it it takes a lot of effort. You know, it's the the fans and the players. I think some of them understand it, but a lot of them don't, you know, so you'll get all the feedback online about, well, where's this car and why is that not there? It's like, well, there's a long story that you probably don't want right. to hear, but we try our best and we get <laughs> right. everything, you know, get as much as we can in there. So I think the last car list I saw was well over a thousand vehicles in the game. So For Horizon. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's just cool to have the data, you know, there was an example of, I want to say it was Alfa Romeo maybe fiat there was a, a story goes back years now where they were basically building out some museum space and couldn't find the files for this one car and we had sourced one and so they asked us to give them files that they could then recreate some stuff digitally in their oh museum. wow and so you know you get to you get to the point where you're building this amazing digital database uh, history of all these cars you know right. hands-on that maybe there's one or two of them in the world now, you know? Uh, so that becomes a really interesting concept too, where you're sort of preserving a lot of these great vehicles for future generations. I hadn't even thought about that side of it. Yeah. There's probably some sort of tie-in for you and Haggerty, Matt. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. Well, Haggerty, you know, Haggerty, they're doing some great stuff and they, they just did a, I just saw they did a cool partnership with the new Gran Turismo that just came out. Uh, where they're doing real-time valuations of cars in your garage. Oh. So your, your digital garage in the game, uh, they're doing evaluations of those um, and some other cool stuff. So yeah, that's, you know, it's good to be a part of the digital space for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a little bit, e particularly in the older cars, right? It's a little bit easier to, to maintain it and run it. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, and own it, you know, like even be able to drive it. and, and uh, Right. Parts aren't obsolete in, uh, in, in the digital. That's right. No, that's right. And, and you really get a sense of, you know, that the physics have gotten really good and the, and the graphics are so good that it's, you know, obviously you don't have what everybody calls the butt dyno, right? Like you don't have that necessarily feeling, right. but you have a lot of the other feelings, um, you know, that and smell are the two tough ones. The butt dyno and the smell are the, the, the hard yeah. ones, but everything else, you know, it's just like the real thing. It's pretty yeah. amazing. I, I think it's cool too, just because like it allowed me to, I, I and with the age my kids are at right now, I'm not, I'm not in video gaming as much as I perhaps was uh, a couple years ago, but like yeah. the, uh, it allowed me to sort of like scratch my itch to like cars I'd love to own or, or, or yeah. um, modify in a particular way. And I, I could go into the game and do it and get it done where I couldn't maybe afford to do it otherwise. And, and yeah. Uh, well, I love there was a, a guy who worked for Audi North America. Um, I'm not sure he's with them anymore, but he was one of the guys responsible for the 
auto show work yeah. that they did, the bigger shows. And he would, he told me he would go into Forza and play with the colors and then do like color combinations of the cars that was, he would then order to put on the show floor. Was his name Scott? I think it was, was it Scott? He's from California. Yeah. And then he went into the dealer side and like dealer support and some other stuff. It might've been Scott. Yeah, Scott. Well, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. If, if we're talking about the same person, Scott Reynolds uh, is, is who I'm thinking of. Who yes. I met him. He was at Audi of America and he was in the auto show team. Uh, he, I, I think I met him. He was a student at Pepperdine and he came out to like a car event. And then yeah. he's, he's a regional now back in LA, I think. And at the time, yes. Audi of America, he had like a Riviera Blue S3 that he'd, yes. he'd somehow sweet talk um, the fleet manager into like ordering his car in Riviera Blue. And it was amazing. Hold on, let me see. I've got this driving me crazy now. Yes, absolutely, Scott Reynolds. Yep. I yeah. had to look on my, on my contact sheet. Yeah, I'm, yeah. It's Scott been Reynolds. too long since I've talked to him. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. So I, I just love that kind of story, though. That that you know that that's um, a lot of people use it for different things. You know, there was yeah. a time too where Larry Chen told me he would go in there and play with angles and stuff. Would he know? really? Yeah. So, great. so I mean, one of. In, in this space, probably one of the foremost photographers in the enthusiast space, right? Like Larry yeah. Chen. Yeah. And so he would go in and experiment with shots, whatever. Yeah, just a, like and, angles and distance yeah. and all of that, you know, and he's super sophisticated with the stuff in the real world. But um, it was just cool to hear his stories about how he, he would go in in the early days and fool around with angles and stuff. What's interesting, right? I'm kind of a one brand pony here, but like, but for me, largely from what would it be like the Egger era, the kind of volume base? So we're talking like R8 Mark II, Q7 Mark II, TT Mark III, like those cars. Yeah. Like they're they're interesting, but they're they're funny to me because at certain angles, as a, I'm thinking now as a photographer, right? You see it in the real world. You, I think you kind of generally find your line as to like what angle is is cool for you, and you kind of stand right. there and take the car in, right? Yeah. But when you're shooting it, you're trying to guess what people will like find attractive and what i found with those designs yeah. because they were so volumetric based was like and there's so much going on with the shape that's like complicated that certain angles make it look awkward but other angles it really pops and yeah. and like the r8 for me is like that way the way the grill is sort of like that the egg crate grill kind of like plays across uh, that yeah like if you get it at the right angle and i find it's like for me on those era of audis it's like kind of a uh close to front three quarter right like so you're getting that kind of depth that's along you the see the curve yeah sides yep. and yeah you get the volumes where they really pop but like i'd imagine that's probably i'm sure audi isn't the only brand that's kind of had to, i don't want to say play tricks but like kind of deal with the fact that like most modern cars are a particular shape for arrow and you know impact with pedestrians yeah, and whatever pedestrian else laws, and, yeah. and, and <laughs> then from there you're adding details right and and, right. and things that make it captivating and so um or maybe just proportions and and i have to imagine that's probably what larry's doing yeah. is what i guess i'm i'm certainly not yeah. even remotely in his <laughs> his <laughs> orbit when it comes to photography i just play yeah. a moderately okay photographer online but like yeah but yeah yeah anyway that's interesting well and then the last uh uh forza story i'll, I'll just share real quick just because we're yeah. on the audi podcast is i remember when the horizon 2 came out and it was set in europe they have a bunch of traffic cars in the in there that are just run by AI. There's no players in them. And I was so offended that they had the B6 Audi wagon in there as a traffic car. I was like, come on, you guys. <laughs> like somebody wouldn't well, just be picking that. Do right? that. Yeah. So they yeah, right. just use it to punt them around the environment. I'm like, oh, this is 
pains me. But yeah, anyway, it's great times at Forza. Love what they're doing. Encourage everybody to check them out. Um, yeah. Go grab a copy of Horizon if you haven't played it and keep your eyes peeled for the next motorsport because I'm sure it's going to be a knockout. I, I did touch on that Horizon a little bit. My daughter and I were playing a couple of weeks ago. I just, I got to find, dro- dropped it on a plane and it's Mexico now, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, Mexico. And it's absolutely huge. The map is just enormous. And the uh, yeah. all the four-wheel off-road stuff is super fun. You know, you can now just drive a straight line over everything. Just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Off-road's definitely a thing now, right? Like it's, yeah. uh, it's an interesting play on the whole. I guess there's a whole generation coming up now, right? Where SUVs have kind of been like the cars, you know, like everywhere. So I guess like seeing what people are doing with old, like, you know, Cayennes and Touregs and Q7s and whatever is, it's probably only a matter of, uh, I I think it was down at Porsche Club's work screen and down in Amelia and they had like a whole line of safaried out Cayennes. Like that's where we are. And there's a whole generation that's more into that than the 911s and whatever else down the road. Yep. The overlanding stuff is huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah. So, well, so speaking of overland, but probably over road, one of the reasons we're talking, right? <laughs> yeah. Is you buy this RS6 and you decide to take a, uh, a, uh, an unforgettable road trip. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, again, super just passionate about cars. Yeah. Uh, am not in a position to have a bunch of garage queen cars. No, don't know if I ever will be. And if I did, I would follow in the Jay Leno camp of driving them all, you know? And so I knew that this car would be somewhat, um, I don't want to say exotic, but it's, uh, you know, it's not an everyday car. Um, The RS6. The RS6 Avant. Um, But I knew I'd want to drive it. And so immediately started planning. Buddy and I, we went to the first um, camp all road that they did in Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado number of years ago we had a great time so we drove drove my a4 out to that with my buddy charlie from college and uh he shares the same passion around cars also loves a good road trip is a musician so has a really good robust playlist which is important uh and uh likes to bake cookies which is a good snack so he was a great companion um so we had a great time just doing that blast back and forth colorado springs and sort of introducing him into the Audi nerdism. And uh, so we'd always talked about, well, where's the next road trip? And it took us a number of years to kind of pull one together. And we thought, well, where would we want to go? And then we started thinking, well, what other road is more famous than Route 66? And we both like photography. We both like, um, you know, open roads kind of stuff. And so we started doing some research. We thought this might be it. And so then I sort of aligned it around, well, I'm going to get this new car. Let's take that car. And so we were all in, we were starting to plan uh, just before I ordered the car, we were starting to plan. We had breakfast and we laid out the map, I got the map behind me. I hung that up for you today. Oh, nice. Um, started planning everything out and then pandemic. So we're like, okay, let's wait and just see what kind of happens here. So we, we basically punted it uh, a couple of years to last year. Uh, so September, of 2021, we decided to uh, hit the road um, and, and experience the mother road. So my wife was like, well, why aren't you, it starts in Chicago, goes to Santa Monica. Uh, and my wife's like, so you're going to, are you going to fly to Chicago then and drive down? I'm like, no, because I'd have to ship the car out there. So of course we're going to drive the whole thing. You know, and she's like, you are absolutely crazy. 
and um, she thanked Charlie because she would never do such a road trip. So she was thankful that I found somebody who would and loved it as much <laughs> as I did. So we decided to do the whole thing from Seattle and just do a big circle. So went from Seattle, Chicago, Chicago, Santa Monica, Santa Monica, back to Seattle. Uh, it was 5,600, just a little bit over 5,600 miles. Did it in 11 days um, and did uh, 19 states, I think it was. Um, wow. And it was tremendous. Like we far exceeded our expectations. Uh, the car was wildly comfortable and great to drive. We went into it not wanting to do like a cannonball-esque kind of thing. We were not going to break any speed records. We didn't want to do that. Um, we did want to open it up every once in a while, wink, wink. But we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't intend to just blast through the whole thing. But we also didn't have like two and a half or three weeks to do it. So we knew we'd skip some stuff that probably we would have wanted to have seen. There were portions at night where we drove, you know, for a couple hours and missed some stuff just to get to the next big town and that kind of thing. But right. for the most part, felt like we saw everything we wanted to see. Um, I was nervous going in, admittedly, about the tires just because they're hard to get for that car. And I was worried if I was to have a puncture or something worse, what a pain that would be. Considered buying a spare to bring with me, ended up deciding not to do that because I thought I might jinx myself. So didn't do that. Um, and fortunately made it no problem uh, at all uh, with the tires. Even got off road in Texas at one point um, Did you really? where the route turns into dirt. And we're like, well, it's Quattro. Might as well just keep going. Um, so that was a great trip. I can go into a ton of detail for you if you want. I can tell some sure. highlights. I mean, it's uh, it, it was just a, a really well, outstanding experience. All right. So I would love to hear uh, some detail or, you know, sure. whatever. But I, I guess I'd say, so you had to make your way from Seattle to Chicago. Did you yeah. do, was that pretty much just like a highway blast to? Yeah, for, like, yeah, for the, mo yeah, for the most part. Yeah. And we, we wanted to. At first, we we're like, well, let's do it in two days um, and just get to Chicago. And then we realized, no, let's not show up in Chicago exhausted. You know, right. let's, let's pace ourselves so we're, we've got the energy for the trip we really want to take. So right. we end up doing it in three days. And it basically, yeah, just a shot across I-90 for us, basically. Okay. So um, through Montana, um, you know, I've got the map here. I can reference it's the like map behind me okay. as I'm looking at it. Yeah, so, you know. Montana, South Dakota, dipped down into Iowa, and then the sh sh over into Illinois. So we stopped in. Right. Um, first night was in a small town in Montana. Second night was Sioux City, Iowa. Um, and then the third night was Chicago. Um, and then that was the start point. And then had the chance, ironically, to meet somebody on, on Instagram who I'd followed for a long time. Uh, ben from Audubon was... Um. Um, with his dad on a baseball geek road trip and they were up watching a baseball game, I think up in Wisconsin or something. And he had just put a shout out on, on Instagram saying, Hey, anybody going to be in Chicago? And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be in Chicago. <laughs> and uh, ended up meeting him in Chicago of all places um, with it, Like we rolled into a town within an hour of each other. Um, and so oh, we met so up cool. on a rooftop car was absolute mess with bugs, dead bugs all over it and everything else. But Rolled in, met him, met his dad, had a great conversation with him. He took some cool pictures of the car um, before we set off the next day. So that was kind of fun. 
Um, and there were a couple other Audi folks that we tried to meet up with that didn't quite pan out, but, um, but it was good. So yeah, we just hit the road uh, and headed out of Chicago and the route is still, you know, so it was originally, you know, the history originally built in the twenties and thirties as a way for people to es essentially escape the Dust Bowl and get West. So get out of the Midwest and go West. And it was a Southern route because primarily because of weather. And when it was built, a lot of the state's Department of Transportation's basically had to put a pitch together to be a part of it. So you had to sort of say, well, we're on board, we will support it, we will do X, Y, Z to keep it going. And so there was a huge effort in the 20s, 30s, 40s to get the thing up and going. I would say by the mid 40s, it was a, a seriously um, uh, motorized experience, um, paved the whole way. and. Uh, you had all these creative, you know, essentially creative marketing <laughs> the whole way, trying to get people to stop in your town. So there's all this kitschy, crazy stuff, roadside attractions, roadside zoos, these things called muffler men, which were these huge aluminum structures of these big guys holding mufflers to get your car repaired that have now been turned into other things. So our muffler man picture we had was a guy holding a big hot dog. It was promoting <laughs> a hot dog stand, you know, so, the thing got going there in the 40s and the interstate system starts to come in in the 50s, 60s and starts to displace a lot of the route. And so the route is sort of hanging on by a thread there for a while. And uh, oh, yeah, there you go. Um, you. Sure have to, okay. So the, the route's sort of hanging on by a thread. There are portions of the interstate that go right over where the route was. And then there are portions where the route is basically a frontage road right next to the freeway. And then there are other sections where the route's kind of way off in the distance. And then, of course, there are sections that are completely gone now. Um, but really? I want to say what we had read, I want to say it was something like 86% of it is still drivable. Of that 86%, there's a very small percent that's like unpaved and super rural. Um, and sort of the combination of old school map and Google Maps we just sort of plotted the route and our goal was to stay on the route as much and as often as we could uh, and see as much as we could. We knew there were going to be times where we'd want to jump on the interstate just to get to the next town, uh, which we did do. Uh, but, and, and a lot of the states do a pretty good job of the signage. So even if you're on the interstate, it says historic, you know, historic 66 exit here. Yeah. And Google actually had it labeled pretty clearly too, for the most part. So there was a lot of times where we were um, jumping on and off. We were also very conscious of just stopping. If we saw something cool, let's turn around and go look at that. So we had, you know, a couple of things which I, I put up on my, my Instagram stories. I kept, I kept the stories if anybody so, wanted to go back and see them. So on Instagram, just so we're clear, your Instagram yeah. uh, account is, father flywheel father flywheel that's right father flywheel so, and i've saved a couple there's two two albums up there that basically chronicle the trip and one of them i highlight some of the stuff we use so one was these maps that i got off of amazon called here it is and they're hand-drawn maps and they go state by state uh oh, and wow. they and they were amazing so i'll just open it up to show you what this looks like just because it's kind of cool so it it's like hand drawn, but the, the oh, wow. beauty of it is it shows all the exits off the interstate. It shows uh, where the cool stuff is. So we sort of had a combination of 
these kind of maps. We had one guidebook that we used that we looked at some stuff just to, you know, flag some things which, like, oh, that gas which station one is that? cool. This is Remind called the Route 66 Adventure Handbook Ooh, by Drew wrong. Knowles. Oh, and then on cue, my poster just fell down. <laughs> um, but that's good because then I can look at it without turning around. Yeah. Um, yeah so, yeah, great, uh, great guidebook. Um, there are a number of them out there, but we found this great. one to be pretty good. What was surprising, though, is the the route is deteriorating, and a lot of the buildings that aren't being, you know, renovated or owned by a nonprofit or whatever are disappearing. So there was even stuff in here where, like, that looks cool, and you pull off the road and it's gone. You know, it's like pretty oh, bad. You know, so there were a couple a couple misses here or there, um, but for the most part, we just sort of pegged sort of each day we just kind of looked a day ahead and we're like, well, here's ideally where we want to end up. Here's some stuff to see. And we just hit the road and uh, we had a great little routine down. We shared the driving. I did probably 70% of the driving, um, but uh, which was fine. Um, I would have driven the whole thing, but I wanted to share, share it with Charlie. So um, yeah. Yeah, so we just had a great, great time. So the, the Chicago, going out of Chicago, the first um, sort of big, big stop, I would say, is this um, this gas station. Let me bring up my notes here to make sure I don't mispronounce. Uh, While you're pulling that up, one yeah. thing I'll share with you, because I just recently found it, and I, I'm not really, um, you may want to follow him on Facebook, because I'm following a guy's similar trip right now, only instead of in an RS6, uh -huh. He's he's a German guy and he's doing it on uh, Carl right. Heinz Weiss. No, an NSU quickly, like a moped. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Even worse right. than a Harley. So so yeah, so like Audi, so some Audi heritage there, not quite a, a twin turbo like, yeah. like 590 horsepower R6, but instead it's like a it's a it's an old 60s moped that like I'm sure that is crazy. Yeah. So it's, uh, if you're, if you're curious to follow him too, I'll throw this up. It's it, on Facebook. He's got a group called NSU dash quickly on route 66. So, Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's he's posting great. a lot of photos. Okay. Love it. I'll probably yeah. recognize a lot of the stops. Right. Um, yeah. And so the, um, the unofficial start point is this place called Lou Mitchell's diner in downtown Chicago in the loop. Um, and that's kind of where everybody would set off in the, restaurant dates back to the 40s so we had to have breakfast there of course um and kicked off from there but the first kind of stop was in a town called dwight illinois at a texaco that had been renovated and is now run by volunteers and we pulled in there and it was outstanding because the volunteers are just there's four guys sitting in chairs and we come rolling in and they couldn't believe their eyes they're like what is that thing like they'd never seen one and they're like, hey, you just missed a bunch of hot rods came through here. And they were saying, yeah, I'm supposed to volunteer, you know, four hours a day, but I end up sit sitting here seven just because I love the conversations with everybody and, you know, sharing this, this root stories. And they were telling them what we were trying to do and how we, you know, they saw my Washington state license plate. They're like, you drove all the way here, you know, so just a lot of funny sort of references and surprise in people's eyes. But that was just a great way to start it off because they were just super friendly and really complimentary about what we were trying to do and all of that. And so, oh yeah. Are these go. your guys? 
Yeah. This is it. Yep. Yep. And this you can was, see them. Uh, you can see them sitting behind the gas pump there. There's Lou Mitchell's. Lou Mitchell's, and then yep. and then here we are. In the, I I did have. I don't have all your. You gave me like a thousand photos for the story, and I sincerely appreciate it. Photo sets are always the hardest part with telling a story in the magazine. But you, I, I opened some here pre yeah. ahead of our call, so I, if I can help with photos, sure. I will. Okay, I don't know what's yeah. what, so it's going to be picking away in the dark. And of course, if you're listening on audio, I'm sorry. Go watch the YouTube version or check out yeah. the story in the magazine. But yeah, love it. Um, but yeah, so it was uh, it was just a great way to to start the thing off. Um, and uh, they were they were super complimentary about it and. You know, a lot of these folks are running on donations and everything else. So we always tried to stop and throw some money in the in the tip jar, uh, buy a little tchotchke, always gassed up in the smaller towns, always tried to get lunch in the smaller towns. Um, but I will say we were a little snooty with our hotel selections and did not stay in any of the kitschy, cool hotels, but rather no. courtyard Marriott's uh, because we both no. wanted gyms to work out in in the morning and stretch out. And, yeah. Um, comfortable beds to sleep in and in a secure parking lot for the car. So we pushed to some of the major cities for our overnights, but definitely did our part along the way to, to stop at some of the smaller towns and, and see some stuff. Um, and just, you know, what they, what they say about the route, about everybody being thankful you're there and, and happy to see you is totally true. Um, they love to hear your story, where you're from and why you're doing what you're doing. And then they're happy to regale you with stories and also give you tips on where to go next. You know, if you don't have really a sense of what you're doing next. Um, hmm. So we had a, just a, a great time. Uh, we blasted through um, Illinois the first uh, day and then overnighted in uh, St. Louis that first night. And then um, let's see, St. Louis, Arch, first time in St. Louis, so got to see the arch in the morning. It was an absolutely gorgeous day. Uh, weather, we got really lucky. You know, I feel like going in the sort of shoulder season of late September was sort of right on the money because there was everybody was back in school, so the roads weren't quite as crowded. Um, there was still pandemic going on, but some cities were busier than others in that regard. Um, but it was just it was great. The weather was great. I think there was one half day where we had some sprinkles, and that was it. Uh, oh, most wow. of the rest of the time it was sunny uh, and, and warm uh, and there were a couple overnight storms and stuff but nothing that in interfered with the drive at all so felt really lucky about that and obviously helped with the uh, photography too so <laughs> had some good had some good shots um, and then one of the big highlights the uh, first big highlight I'll call out is uh, on day day two or technically day five of the trip um, Paris Springs, Missouri um, had an incredible called Gary Pays Gas. It's an old Sinclair gas station. If you're looking at the pictures, it's the one that's got just tons of stuff all over the place. Um, again, one of those okay. places that, yeah, there you go. One of those places that just um, is amazing. You know, it's just, it's run by a guy and his wife. Uh, they've kept the thing running um, and collect a lot of the souvenirs, but a lot of that stuff was there before, you know, there was that, in that image you had up, there was that stone garage in the back that dates back to the twenties. And in that garage was just a bunch of like original spark plugs and just like, wow, just museum. it's like a museum. Like Boy, they, they just, just got up and walked away, you know, and it's all still there. It's, it's they just incredible. They don't build buildings like that anymore either. No, it's, it's no, amazing. that's for sure. Um, 
so that was a super cool spot. And then uh, from there was uh, a quick little pass through um, Kansas, which I've got to mention just because of the entire route, Kansas is only 13 miles long. And it basically nicks the lower southwest, southeast corner of the state. Just teeny little tick, 13 miles because the Kansas Department of Transportation folks advocated so hardcore that they want to be part of the route. They basically do this little blip through. The, and that little 13 mile stretch was one of the best stretches we've been on because as soon no as kidding. you get on it, it's super smooth. And then it's stamped in the road every, I don't know, a thousand feet. It says Route 66 in the pavement. And then there's banners on the light posts. And then you come around the corner and they've got this thing called the cars on Route 66, which is the original Tomator that was the inspiration for the tow oh, truck wow. and the cars movie from Pixar is there. They've got a bunch of other um, sort of model cars there. And then you pull into town and we just happened to roll up complete coincidence, rolled into this town called Baxter Springs and they were doing a car meet. And so we rolled in, there was this Texaco that had just been renovated and they were doing shot out in front with all these fifties airs cars and people in their bebop outfits. And then a guy pulled up with this car with flames shooting out of the exhaust and just crazy. So that was, uh, yeah, there it is. Yep. You're doing a great job with the photo. Here. So, <laughs> I, the ones I picked were like, I don't know how I just grabbed There a few, you go. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, just crazy cool. Right. So, and, and we yeah. just hit this out of, out of nowhere. Um, but super cool stretch and the people were super amazing and it was just really fun. And then, and then we're starting to hit golden hour there. So, you know, a couple of pictures later, you got the Pepsi, you know, that's just on the side of the building around the corner from us. Okay. So we got some really nice, you know, Ooh. hero shots there. Um, so yeah. And then that's next morning in Amarillo, Texas. So that's another sort of take on the muffler man, but he was, I forget what they called him, but he's basically a dike worker uh, that gets, they change his clothes all the time. So he's promoting, ah. I think a radio station there, but um, that's at a huge fairground uh, in uh, Armarillo, Texas. Outside of Texas. Um, yeah. Or no, Outside wait a minute. Texas. Sorry. Armarillo, Texas is where we ended up at. That's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. The golden driller. That's what he's called. So, um, so that's, uh, that's him. Uh, but yeah, just rolling through Oklahoma was super cool. Um, we hit a, a parking lot of a bowling alley, which I think is a couple of pictures later there after that bridge, that's just full of uh, old gas station signs. So they had like where the light posts would be. They just put up all these old gas station that's signs. That's cool. Um, that was super cool. Um, and then just continued rolling through Oklahoma. We ended up at this place called Pops, which was a, a huge soda fountain um, that had that. Uh, cool big art structure out front and then touch up. And then these pictures you're starting to scroll over now, just click on one of those. This is probably okay. the biggest, best story of the whole, the whole trip. So this is in Eric, Oklahoma. And anybody who's online and wants to look this up, um, look up the sun, Sand Hill Curiosity Shop uh, or look up the Harley Experience in Eric, Oklahoma, and you'll see what I'm talking about basically rolled up to this building in this town of like 150 people there is no evidence that anyone actually lives there or anything's going on in the downtown it's super depressed and shockingly so but you round the corner and you see this amazing building with all this stuff all over it you're like 
okay, there we found the spot. And so as we pull up, we hear music blaring out of the, that's Charlie doing his part, doing some weeding, I think for them. Um, <laughs> but we hear the music blaring inside. We're like, oh, he's got the tunes on. Let's go in and check this out. So we walk into the room and it's just chock full of stuff. Like just, well, you can't even move really. There's so much memorabilia in there and none of it's for sale. So that's the funny part is it's a curiosity shop with no, nothing's for sale. <laughs> that's and, the curiosity is nothing's for sale. Yeah. yeah. And so this guy, Harley, well, I'm not going to try to guess his age, but we'll say he's had a good life. He's yeah. in the middle of the room jamming on an electric guitar with a bank of speakers behind him. The room smells like a mix of bourbon, marijuana, and tobacco, which we decided <laughs> were his food groups because you look around the room and there was huge ashtrays and big bottles of bourbon. And yeah. he was just sitting there jamming. And then he had these big chip jar, tip jars that he was pointed out a number of times. And so I actually had to run back a car a couple of times to grab a few more pills to throw in because we hadn't tipped him enough to get him to take this picture of us. Um, but he <laughs> was hilarious. And so he did a song for us. And basically his shtick was he and his wife would put on these shows. So in the room, there was a bunch of wooden chairs around and then big baskets of kazoos and tambourines and stuff. And what, as he would tell it, what would happen is a tour bus would roll in, especially the ones from Europe, he said, were the best because they tipped really well, but they also had the most fun. They would roll in and have these huge sing-alongs. And his wife would make a big poster, original poster for them because they knew they were coming and they would pose out front like this with a picture with the whole group and their sign. They would go in and play a bunch of music. They'd do like a half hour set, get everybody all worked up, pass the tip jar around, made hundreds of dollars in that sort of routine hmm. and just had a great time. So they were basically, you know, artists having this yeah. crazy time on this sort of a tourist trap uh, location that was the only thing going in town. And so he unfortunately lost his, lost his wife to, I think it was cancer a few hmm. years ago but is still there rocking away, trying to keep the thing going. But the pandemic was just killed him because there was no tours coming through and no, no tip jar. And so uh, it was clear that he was having kind of a rough time, uh, but the doors still open. Doors are open basically seven days a week. And um, it's absolutely worth a stop if you're on the route. And then it's absolutely worth looking him up on YouTube because he's got That's some cool. crazy interviews and crazy music stuff that he's done. But that was probably the, the craziest moment. And so that one picture there, you had me in a hat. So I actually bought that hat 20 uh, years ago it? when I was in Santa Monica. And so huh. decided to give it to him. So I wrote on it, keep jamming Harley, rewrote our names and the date and hung it up in his, in his room. Cause he had this one coat rack hat rack that had hundreds of hats on it. And I was like, nice. I think this is where my hat needs to live. So that's signed fantastic. that to him and left it. And, um, uh, we were on our way, but that was probably one of the bigger highlights was Eric, Oklahoma, surprisingly cool spot um, and pretty amazing. And then uh, Shamrock gas station, the tower station, the Conoco station, you brought that up there. You know, we were talking earlier about Tesla right around yeah. the corner from this, not kidding you, Tesla bank. And there was a guy charging his Tesla when we were there taking Was there really? Yeah. So this was on uh, Did, Sunday. Quick, so quick question. Oh, These ahead. old gas stations, are they still functional? Like, are they actually selling gas? This one is not. Um, okay. Most of them are not. The pumps don't operate anymore. So they're, they're basically just photo, photo ops. 
Yeah. Um, I didn't, and come to think of it, I, I didn't see one that was functioning. They were all just more models or display right. kind of museum pieces. But this is the famous one from Cars where they basically recreated it almost exactly. Um, and so that's in, uh, in Shamrock, Texas. That's also where our, our good friends at Hoonigan did the Hoona truck um, oh, right. in the Jim Connor film in Jim Connor 10. This was the location where the Hoona truck whipped through this actual where the cars parked there, whipped hmm. through that um, little area there. Um, and so uh, that was a cool spot, obviously, just because you'd seen the images of this thing so many places and actually see it in person was kind of cool. And then, of course, a little further down the road in uh, Texas, you've got the Cadillac Ranch, which, you know, you've seen pictures of forever. Um, and uh, yeah, that's OK. Um, that's where they're coming out of the ground. That's where they're coming out of the ground. And that was just basically, a, a, you know, a corn farmer decided to do something funny with the artist in town and they stuck those in the ground. The, th the most shocking thing for us was having seen the pictures. We're like, that looks pretty cool. Those look like Cadillacs. And then you pull up. And they don't look at all like cars anymore because they have so much spray paint on them that it's yeah. all super thick and just packed, caked on. And then nothing's really on them anymore. So like the trunk's gone, the doors are gone, everything's sort of gone. So it's just sort of the shell with a lot of heavy paint on them. Still cool, but not kind of what yeah. maybe we thought we were going to see when we pulled up. And then the funniest part to me was being a marketer of course you roll up and there was a, a trailer there selling spray paint <laughs> so oh they were and stickers and stuff so they're clearly they want you to add to the art and so we of course had to buy, buy a bottle of spray paint and add add some initials to it and um, nice you know, i had to buy a sticker for the for the moment too but yeah <laughs> just it was uh, that was a fun that was a fun stop uh and then uh motored on through texas um hit a state line in uh, Glen Rio, Texas, uh, which was a ghost town, which was kind of cool. Um, and then, uh, let's see, I think that uh, picture, I'm looking at your pictures there. I think that's in, yeah, the Roadkill Cafe. That was kind of funny. Um, I'm not sure where. This oh, is yeah. Arizona. Kings, Kingman, Arizona. So this was Eat cool. We thought we, we were like, why didn't every state do this? So we thought yeah. this is super cool because it was essentially you see another car pulled up behind me there. It's basically just a roundabout. Okay. <laughs> you pull in, get a picture, and keep going. And but I imagine like, well, that all perfect. lights up at like, night with neon. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. It's like every state, it, we, and part of me was like, I should put together a fund to put one in every, every state. Right. Just cause it, was, it was such a cool photo op and a great way to sort of capture the moment of, uh, of rolling through. So yeah, so that's that takes us through into into Arizona. But yeah, we were through Texas, New Mexico, a um, lot of great cool stops along the way. Went over the Continental Divide. Um, and where's that? Which was cool. In... So Continental Divide is uh, New Mexico, um, okay. sort of close to Klein's Corners. Um, truck stop um, was not necessarily the best truck stop I see in my notes here, but. They advertise ice cream and there's no ice she, cream. She so took we some pretty thorough about. nuts. Yeah. yeah I've got um, a map up here. Oh yeah, there we go. So yeah. To Macari, that was another good spot. There was some cool, some cool stuff there. Um, and then, you know, I 
don't want to bore you with all these details, but uh, Two Guns Arizona was super cool. That's a, so there's like a sort of combination along the route. There's the places that are relatively pristine and have been, you know, renovated and not modernized, but at least, you know, kept intact. And then there are other places that are totally abandoned and left virtually untouched. I mean, there were sections in New Mexico in particular, a couple of towns we rolled into where the gas station, it looked like they just got up, walked up and left. Like the, in, mm. the, in the lobby, there was still a rack with maps in it and like, just like abandoned. Like they just like, we're done, we're leaving. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't vandalized. It was, it was just, some of them maybe had a chain link fence around them, but they just sat there like little, little monuments. And then yeah. the last example would be the ones that got damaged. So graffiti, whatever else. And so in this town called Two Guns, Arizona, that's been sort of adopted as one of the spots. So there's a gas station that's totally stripped of everything. It's just a structure now, but it has a ton of graffiti around it. And that's the home of this crazy roadside attraction, which was a zoo. So there were all these rock built buildings that housed all these different creatures. So as you were driving around the route, you pull off and you and the kids would jump out and see the zoo. And it was crazy, just all the cages and stuff, there's stuff still there, trails kind of all over the place. And then this one little section where there were a couple buildings that were all spray painted up and there was a, a pool um, that was turned into sort of like a skate park sort of thing. It was kind of crazy. Um, and then as we got to um, Arizona and uh, Ash Fork, Arizona to uh, Sigelman, Arizona has some, some of those nice straightaways that you fantasize about and you see the pictures of um, where it's just flat tarmac with nobody around. Um, and so that was, that was fun um, and got to test the, the speed of the car in a few spaces here and there. Um, Charlie's a, a bit of a photographer, so he brought a drone with him and we'd had fantasies about you know, doing a drone a whole bunch of times. That was one of the places we got the drone out, which was kind of fun. But we kind of forgot, like I had a GoPro, but we basically forgot to turn it on all the time. So we didn't really do that. So we just tried right. to take as many pictures as we could. I, I love photography, but I'm now a lazy iPhone photographer. Um, so I just shot everything on my phone where Charlie actually whipped out the 35 millimeter and took some really nice high res shots and you know spent some time with some things. Um, but it was fun get to, to get the drone out. And then another sort of highlight on the West side of the trip was Sit Greaves Pass, which was absolutely amazing, which is basically the state line of Arizona and California. The closest, um, closest nearby town is um, called Oatman, uh, sort of a Western town that's sort of a, up, up top in the pass. Um, it was absolutely incredible. So super skinny, basically a lane and a half wide I mean, it's not by modern standards, it's not wide enough road, but it's the original route and it goes up through this pass that I can't remember if I wrote down the elevation. Oh yeah, uh, 3,500 feet. So not, not huge, but still pretty good rise up, but just amazing windy road. And that was another one of those that we hit just at the right time, close to sunset. So Charlie's like, yeah, just pull over here. So I pulled over, he got out with the drone and I just did a few laps and we just got some really cool imagery of that um, and pictures of that. Um, so that was really uh, a super highlight because it was just gorgeous up there. And it was, you know, again, nobody was around. It's like a Tuesday, late afternoon. 
nobody on the road. Um, and uh, that was good. And then the only bummer about that was we then had to sort of blast through the Mojave Desert in the dark, which we both wanted yeah. to kind of experience during the day, but is what it is. So we sort of blasted through there so we could get to Barstow. And then we're in sort of home stretch. So you're in, in California at that point. And that's when the route gets, re you get really lost essentially. So the further west you get into California, it just turns into the spaghetti. Um, but Barstow is sort of the last, there you go, sort of the last stop of sort of Route 66 era stuff that you can see. Um, some cool little towns, little donut shop you see kind of cropped out of the picture there in the background. So, some cool little stuff there for sure. So we, we, we poked around there for a little bit. Uh, on the way uh, further west, uh, we came across a bottle tree ranch, which is another cool thing I'd encourage people to look up online. Um, that's in Orano Grand, um, California. And basically an artist took um, recycled bottles and then created these trees with really unique things at the top of them, just mm. metal, um, metal structures basically. So, and then put the bottles on them like tree branches. And then at the top, there might be a tricycle or there might be a gas pump or there might be just all sorts of random stuff. And it's just filled this property with them. And he's got this huge well to put donations in and other stuff and it's open to the public and that was a super cool surprise we'd heard about it but we didn't sort of paint it on our maps and then we're blowing by and we're like oh there it is um so that was really cool and then uh had to swing by the first mcdonald's which i saw you had an image of there in san yeah. bernardino california that was a little uh, underwhelming to be honest we were kind of hoping for, and it's not functioning anymore it's basically abandoned mcdonald's with with pictures on it um so we we're kind of bummed out about that and then uh the richfield gas station in chickamauga california was sort of the last um route 66 era gas station on the route until you get to the pier and then we landed at the pier uh 4 45 in the afternoon we couldn't drive down onto the pier anybody's been to santa monica knows there's a uh, a ramp that goes down that like service vehicles and emergency vehicles can drive down to but we we couldn't drive down so we pulled off tried to get a picture by the top of the pier parked the car walked down and um there we go yeah just you can see the road close there so that yeah. was a super quick shot um and of course the sun as good was, as you're gonna get right yeah the, the sun was in the background and charlie's like oh it's not the best shot but oh well um, yeah. We thought for a minute about pleading with the guard to see if he'd let us in, just say we'd just driven the route, but decided it right. wasn't worth the effort. So, um, so super cool. So then we got there and they were like, okay, well, it's still relatively early in the day. Originally, we'd thought about driving up, you know, one and 101 up the West Coast um, to get back to Washington, but didn't really have enough time for that, unfortunately. So did a little bit of it up through Malibu and uh, that and then took Highway 23, which is a really beautiful pass up over to Thousand Oaks, California, and stayed the night um, up near Bakersfield, uh, and then started our our route back north, um, hmm. and and then got back uh, got back to uh, Seattle um, on Friday, eleven days later. So no worse for no worse for wear from looks. Yeah. Good. Yeah, so uh, yeah, 16 states, 11 days, 5,600 miles. Uh, and there, yeah, there we are at the finish line at Charlie's house. So that's my buddy, Charlie. Um, yeah. That's great. And no, it was a no great blowouts, 
No tire issues. So. No tire issues, no cracked windows, no chips, no nothing. I think I've got PPF on the car. So there was one yeah. a rock took one little chip out of the PPF. And then the, the window got one little sort of chip, but not a crack. But I'm yeah. like, hey, I'll take that for 5,600 miles. Not bad. No speeding tickets. Uh, we drove with the radar detector, and that was more just for peace of mind. Again, we weren't really speed running, but it was nice at night when we were kind of blasting that we want to make sure we weren't exceeding too much. Um, and then got home. was like, great, no speeding, no, nothing. And then in the mail, I got a ticket <laughs> from somewhere in, uh, in Iowa or somewhere across when we were making our way to Chicago, a speed yeah. camera caught us at an overpass or something. So but it was it was great because the ticket was only like sixty dollars. Yeah, I was like, all right, tax, that's so. great. Yeah. Take it. So anyway, I, I, long long story there. Hopefully, I haven't bored everybody to death. But you know, a, if you're looking for a great road trip, I highly recommend it. I know a lot of people do it in sections. You know, you don't have to do the whole thing all at once like we did. Right. Uh, there's a ton more to see than we saw. Um, we definitely passed some of the more infamous things that you might consider Route 66. Um, the fascinating thing talking to people along the route was the, the Pixar movies definitely put a resurgence back into the route, put a lot Did more they? interest back into the route. Uh, you see cars references all over the place too. you know, people with yeah. the cars with the eyes painted in the windows trying to right. attract people. Um, so it was a bit of a boom for them when that movie came out and uh, definitely helped revitalize some of the, some of the towns. Um, but a lot of them are, hanging on some of them are doing better jobs than others as far as sort of promoting and and hanging on to that kitsch and really owning it um, right and then others you can tell have kind of given up um and then there are others like kansas where you're like oh my god it's like time travel you know uh, 13 miles you felt like it was the 1950s and you're hmm. going to car hop i mean it was just the coolest it was the coolest night so you know it's it's uh it was amazing um it's one of those things like, would we do it again? You know, it's like, we'd hate to spoil it, you know, like, because we did oh, it yeah. once and we had such a great time. It's like, well, what if we go back and it's not as fun? Um, right. There are definitely moments like six griefs pass. I think we could go there and spend three days, you know, just driving it and hiking it and checking it out because it was really beautiful there. Um, St. Louis would have loved to spend a little bit more time there. Um, so there, there are definitely spots we'd go back to. I don't know if we'd do the whole route again, um, right. but we had such a great time. We're talking and planning the next one, probably not doing something this year as robust, but looking at 2023 to maybe do a corner to corner. So Seattle to Florida Keys or, oh, you know, cool. up the coast through Canada to Alaska or up in the Banff or, so, you know, something. So I've the other ones I've heard thrown at me are, like to do either the route ones, right? Like yeah. the Pacific coast or the one along the East coast. Um, yeah. You know, everybody I've blown down 95 so many times and it's kind of a boring drive, but when you get off and you go into some of those small towns, I like, I'd be curious if you found, I, I read a book a couple of years ago, I think it was called psychology of traffic. And I thought I'm going to read this and I'll be able to, I'll be the traffic whisperer, right. I'll be able to get through oh, yeah. traffic that much faster. It was really more about uh, how we interrelate with people in traffic. But one in the beginning, in the intro, he talks about, I guess he did a, um, he was from New Jersey and they were going to drive across country with like his kid and his, his kid's friend, but what they, they did the Lincoln highway, right. So leaving uh, uh -huh. times square and then through, and I think the old Lincoln highway, while it, 
was originally planned to go to Lincoln Park in San Francisco, it, it I think for the most part kind of ends and turns into interstate after Michigan. So like yeah. what, he, what he talked about was like that stretch from New Jersey to Michigan or New York, if they, I guess they started in Times Square to Michigan, was like the most memorable and that's where they created all their memories of the trip and then you get on the highway and it's just this sort of like you numb out right because like it's just yep yeah Yeah. exactly that's a better word for it like and you're just like especially the ri6 you throw on the autonomous and it just kind of logs down miles and you know whatever it's it's you have a conversation it's past but like when you're going through these little towns and you're you're getting this local flavor in so many ways like you know you just can't replace that with a like a highway is it's worth the extra time, if you will. And for me, living yeah. in Pennsylvania, Lincoln Highway is kind of the one that's like, man, it's like literally it's maybe 20 miles from here, right? Like, so I could yeah. go get it in Times Square and even just driving across Pennsylvania would be, I could spend several days doing that. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the interstates are great for what they're what they're intended for. <laughs> right. Just quick point A to point B if you can deal with the traffic, but getting off the interstate was great. And, and to your point, when we were heading north, on I-5 to get back to Washington State, it, it definitely sort of, it was a bit of a let down, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's like, oh, yeah. now we're only on the freeway. There's no, there's no, because well, that was great where we'd be on a portion of the interstate and then we see the route off, you know, on a frontage road. We're like, what are we doing on the interstate? We zip yeah, off get and get on back that. on it. And then it just winds through the forest and you just, yeah, it's just great, amazing to get off the main road and, and experience it. And it's pretty well, for the most part, it was pretty well signed you know there was a lot of good signage of kind of it's this way it's that way and then like i said sort of combining it with these really good maps and the and the online map um you know it's kind of got us through it man it's i'm i'm jealous i will say so one of the uh i would love to do a route 66 thing with club sometime and and of course lincoln highway we've looked at because it's local one of the things we thought would be an interesting format to do with a group, right? Because like, there's so many things to see. You don't really want to have to be forced to be together all day. Cause like everybody, yeah. one, that little place where you, the guy was jamming, right? You can't go in there with a super huge group. They probably don't have the parking for it. Um, yeah. But our thought was like, you figure out like the, 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 the day, like where you're going to overnight and pretty yeah. much everybody's on the, like between Instagram, go with a consistent hashtag. You can like, you know, we, you can share and what everybody else is seeing, or maybe just like see throughout the day. Oh, you know, Justin shot stopped here. He's ahead of us. We got to stop there too, or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I, it's something I would love to experience as a group, but like singly, if you will. Right. Like we talk yep. about it overnight at the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, totally. Yeah. No, yeah. that would be, that would be a ton of fun. It was also fun. You know, I'm a very much an amateur uh, Instagrammer too. I don't really know what I'm doing, uh, but it was the first time I started doing stories and, and use the hashtag um, RS6 on RET66. So RS6 <laughs> on Route 66 and picked up some followers who were following along on the trip. And it was just fun to get comments from people along the way, you know, that felt like I was sort of sharing the trip with them. And right. a lot of the Audi folks were reaching out to me. A lot of the RS6 guys were like, oh man, you should, you're in California, you guys swing by and see us. And had we known you were coming, we would have planned a meet, you know, and some it's of that stuff, funny, it's like, right? oh, yeah, if a little bit more time and planning could have locked in some stuff. But a lot of it, especially the last day and a half, we really didn't know what our timing was going to be. So it was hard to kind of commit to, yeah, I'll meet sure. you at this time. But that would have been kind of fun to have a, you know, a meetup somewhere along the way um, that was a little bit more formal and organized. But, but we had a great time. And, and like I said, met some fun people along the way. Yeah. Gosh, it sounds like such an excellent trip. <laughs> 
yeah, really, it really was. And as soon as we got home, we're like, oh, man, <laughs> can we go again next week? Like, it's yeah. just, it was just one of those trips that you just like, it was just, it was fun. And, you know, I've had some friends ask me, oh, God, how'd you stand 11 days in the car with the same person? I'm like, it was great, man. Like, we just, we just get along really well. And so it was easy. I find you get the right personality. I and mean, we all kind of, I don't know, for those of us who are road warriors, right? You know who your, your road trip like yeah. your top your top list right if you'd want to be in the car and and, and yeah. if they've got the right sense of humor and the right playlist as you mentioned with with charlie yeah. the you know it it totally makes it happen where the other people like i don't want to be in the car within 20 minutes particularly yeah. if they do the on off throttle thing if they do that on the bottom <laughs> yeah. 10, yeah. minutes anyway yeah <laughs> yeah yeah my but. dad still drives with two feet and so yeah. it's a running joke in my family among my siblings about oh dad two foot dave there he goes yeah. Uh, so yeah but yeah ton of fun man highly recommend it to anybody and uh, yeah it was it was just a great time and again thanks for letting me share the story yeah with you and sure. fellow club members i was honored that you were interested to run it in the magazine and uh honored again to be on the podcast with you to talk about it it's uh it's a ton of fun even oh. recounting it I mean, we're on to tell it, man. It's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We'll see how we lay it out in the magazine. I'm, I'm curious to see what Matt Dud was, does with it. And um, of course, we'll have to run. Maybe we'll run the gallery ahead of time and just give people a link because you guys gave us so much to work with. It's Well, yeah, it's, I basically um, sort of unloaded everything on you there. So let me know if you need specifics, you know, high res or something or, or whatever. And then also the stuff that Charlie shot, I want to make sure he gets attributed versus my yeah, crappy yeah. phone iphone <laughs> you can probably tell which ones he took versus what i took but i definitely want to call him out give him credit uh, yeah yeah well i want to make but, sure i got uh we'll have to check in just to see that we got everything um i think i, I from you i think and they're mostly hgic files so um i can edit this out <laughs> boring people in the check but um but so I have, so Charlie's shots, I think I have uh, about a about hundred shots in there. And it looks like obviously, you know, on a real camera rig. Yep, yep. Uh, and then probably, uh, thank you so much, uh, over 1,100 photos. From, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot, so, it's a lot. Yeah, I just no, thought it was easier to just give it all to you. Like you said, it's hard to curate. I'm like, well, something I like you might not like, and I don't know totally. how you want no. to lay it out. And so I, we, so we I, always say that to all the people who are, we get a lot of contributions of all types for the magazine, right? When you're dealing yeah. with, with members, some people are very experienced photographers or experienced writers. Some people aren't, but they have a good story to tell. And the challenge is like, you know, even if you aren't an experienced writer, you can make up for that with editing and kind of helping yeah. them, you know, build out a voice and, and flow. But like with a photography, man, I, I mean, we're getting better we're using filtration to make it look artistic right right but like right. but at the end of the day like i can't make up a lot of photography i think we had like a one of the track events i got photography for i literally had to like the one shot i wanted didn't have an audi in it so i had to like photoshop out the car that was on the track and photoshop yeah. the audi in and you know yeah. like it was totally changing it but having this much to work with makes it so much easier for us so we always say like just shoot everything and anything and everything and there are bound to be some good shots in there and you know where you were it was so picturesque and, and yeah well, no. be careful what you work for, wish for. Then you get a thousand pictures. <laughs> but, I don't. I don't mind. I mean, the great thing is, like, especially with the the blog backing us up, it's one of the things I like doing with the magazine. If we do a show, like event coverage, where we shot a lot of photos or something like this, we'll run the gallery ahead of time and just kind of like park it somewhere. And you know, unless you're really searching for it, you're not going to see it on the front page of the site. So then, yeah. when we drop the magazine and it's finally out, we can just say, "Here's the direct link," and they can they can dig as deep as they want, Deep-out. right? Like so, yeah. yeah. 
That's great. But I'm, well, well, thank you again. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, excited to see what you guys can do with it. And uh, yeah, it's been we may, good. We may pick your brain. If I can talk, I don't even know how we would do that because it's across so many states and chapters, et cetera. But like, I'd love to try and I think we'll probably do something here with through 30 in the next year. And, yeah. and maybe 66 kind of seems like the play, right? Like you, it, that's the one that, yeah. you know, you move towards, but. Yeah, well, happy to share, share my yeah. learnings and a, anybody wants to reach out with questions, you know, they can hit me on Instagram and uh, happy to answer and share anything. But uh, again, highly recommend these, these maps and, um, and uh, the here, here it is maps from uh, Ghost Town Press and got them on Amazon, but you can probably get them bookstores too. But yeah, it was good. And then the only other thing I guess I'd throw out that's sort of unrelated, but related to wagons and Audis is the Wagon Wednesday stuff I've been doing too for those in the Pacific Northwest chapter of the club, uh, doing my second year of Wagon Wednesday, which is basically inspired by the hashtag Wagon Wednesday, just bringing together like-minded wagon nerds. Uh, We're getting together last Wednesday of every month, starting in May. Uh, okay. going to run through the summer. Last year, we did it basically all months and realized that numbers fell off on the shoulders. So focusing in on the summer um, for this year and okay. uh, going to be doing that. So uh, where are you? Uh, is it does it move around the same place? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be at the Haggerty Garage and Social. It just opened up here in the Seattle area. And uh, last year we were at another venue. So moving moving mm-hmm. venues and uh, hopefully have a little bit more space for folks, more parking and that's great. That, so, I'm curious. I, I mean, I've seen Haggerty building those facilities. Unfortunately, my town's not on the short list yet, yet. But <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Those guys are taking over the world. But, yeah. uh, but such great facilities from the looks of it. I would imagine it's great for holding an event and yeah. gathering of that sort. Yeah, really, really impressive place. And they they actually bought an existing place that was already here in Seattle. Okay. Um, but I know they're also building out a lot of spaces too. So. It's and your gatherings see. are really for long roofs of any sort, right? Like, like that's right. Open to sort, all, right? all makes, all models, all, all eras. Okay. Um, last year we kicked off strong with the first, the first one I had six RS sixes, um, which was the biggest gathering in Seattle at that point. So hoping to break another record here with the opener this May um, with my like-minded friends in the Pacific Northwest. Um, see what we can do. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, all, welcome all makes all models. Just anybody who geeks out on wagons, let's get together and talk about how cool they are. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. We should figure out a way to get you out, even if it's like we have to loan you a car if you don't want to, because it's a bit of a haul for you from Seattle. But but uh, whether or I guess some Oktoberfest does one on the West Coast now. But I was thinking like yeah, in the in the Northeast, we'll see if they always gel up with schedule. But like uh, long roof rally, which was with where they yeah. used to work together. The downside is they split up. The upside is there are two events now, right? There's long roof rally and a Montoberfest all in like the middle of autumn in, in upstate New York and Connecticut and that area. Like it's yeah. a, it's a phenomenal time to be there. And, uh, similarly, right. Like all things wagon, you can't go wrong. Yeah. So. would love to do the long roof rally and been in touch with the, uh, of Oktoberfest folks too. I had intended to go last year, but it was like a week later after I got back yeah. from, Route 66 and my wife was like, yeah, I don't think you're going to yeah. do another road trip, <laughs> but I'm going to try and gonna try and make it this year to the California one. They're doing a cool. run um, down the coast. Um, so I'm going to try and hit that. I think they're doing Long Beach to Long Beach to somewhere. Can't remember now, yeah. but <clears throat> anyway, so hoping to do that one. And 
definitely would love to get out east for one too. Um, yeah, it's just fun. And that's what the car is made for, right? Touring. Right. Enjoying the road and hauling some stuff along the way. Well, that was, I think, the first at Long Roof Rally, the first RS6 to show up was actually your, probably your car's twin. The guy was from Chicago and he literally like just taken delivery of it. Yes. Burned out to, to, to yep. New York to, for that. But, yep. um, I mean, yeah, it's, he was one of the folks I'd, I'd tried to hook up with when we were on our trip. And unfortunately, he was, he was busy that, that night. That's but, too bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Good, yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, thank you again. I, and you gave me uh, two hours there. I really appreciate you going so deep into it all because, like, uh, though you may think it might be nerdy or whatever else, I, obviously, you know, if you've listened to these, hopefully the nerdier the better, right? <laughs> That's kind of my hope. And I think <laughs> yeah. we've all kind of fantasized about doing that Route 66 trip so yeah anybody's on the fence i encourage you to do it just pull the trigger it's uh it's a ton of fun and like i said you can do it in less time you can do it in more time you can break it up Um, right but it's definitely worth it and uh you know i think kids might enjoy it too just because of the cars stuff that's sprinkled in there and there's a ton of fun little curiosity shops along the way and all that kind of thing and you can hit some of the big cities too and take a breather you know along the way if you wanted to and, and experience a bigger town for a while and then jump, jump back on the route. Um, so there's a number of different ways you could, you could handle it. Unfortunately, my kids didn't have any interest. So had to, I'll tell you, that's probably the hard part. Like when you, when you talk about how many days you're on it, how long it goes, I think that's where maybe breaking it up. If you're going to involve kids, (laughs) that's what we're we're like, even like route 30, we're like, maybe if we just did Pennsylvania, like Pittsburgh to like the Philly area, (laughs) not that far. But like right. my kids kind of kind of start to glaze over after, you know. Yeah, yeah we had a lot of 400 mile days, um, but, you know, you throw in enough ice cream stops and you, it's, you know, right. makes it worth it. Well, <laughs> and honestly, I find uh, if I do like I just did Amelia Island. So we did like from Pennsylvania down to Florida. Right. And like if you yeah. have the right co-pilot and, and by that, I just mean somebody who else is a road warrior doesn't get car sick very easily you know enjoys same humor same music taste whatever the miles yeah. go by really easily like it's yeah. it's a it's a great thing to do and uh so that's the trick that's the magic sounds like you did it right yeah well thank you thanks yeah. again for having me i'll let you go i don't want to pull yeah. this into a thanks, third man. hour as much as i love to <laughs> well you probably have stuff to do too i appreciate the time run the marathon with you here but yeah. great to see you after all these years and hope to see you in person sometime that would be a ton of fun i'd love that yeah, and uh, I would sure. love to see your car too, man. Congratulations. You've got, well, uh, you're, you're doing the same thing I was doing there with the eighties. You got the eighties covered, got right? the modern stuff covered. You're making it all happen. I love That's, it. We, we got lucky with garage space. So I can, I can start to fill it up. So I'm curious how many miles do you have on yours? Cause I just turned 17,000. Uh, how many miles do I have on mine? I think I'm right around that same number actually. Right. Yeah. And I was just, cause I, I went off cycle on my, cause I got an oil change before we left. Uh, and I already had, I think, 5,000 on it at that point. So I was just talking, I was just thinking to myself, I should probably figure out service here before it gets to the right. 20K mark. But um, yeah, I think I'm right around that same ballpark, right around 17. So it's, it's good it's to know funny. you're driving I, yours too. Totally. I, I know there's at least one guy in the R6 kind of circles who's gotten to like 25,000. While, while depreciation does worry me a little bit, I've not played at this level in a, per, in a daily driver before. I'm, I'm kind of like, whatever. It's, you know, if, it's, if I start seeing it go down, then I'll worry about it then. But otherwise, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it while I have it. So Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's the thing too. It's like the you know you mentioned Magnus Walker, or some other people. You know, like smiles per mile. You know, it's like yeah. hey, you enjoyed the car. You know, does the appreciation really matter? You know, or the depreciation yeah, right. really matter? It's like if you enjoyed the car well, and you got out of it what you'd hope, then yeah, you're gonna maybe not make money on all of the, all, all the transactions. But well, part of it is it. how do you how do you replace like how do you replace Route 66? Right, I've done. Right. Monterey and Amelia in mine. And it's like, I, those, those memories will be with me forever. Totally worth any money I lose on this car. Like, yeah, it's, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and my hope is they're going to, you know, run for a long time because, you know, the German makes do a good job of building things that are relatively bulletproof. So you keep them up, yeah. not the cheapest thing in the world to keep on the road, but it should go for quite a while. So I'm, you know, I, I, I don't have any plans to unload it. Um, but I will tell you, like we were talking at the at the beginning there, the electric one looks pretty tempting. Yeah, uh, that's so. I, you know, I'd have to figure out what what trait what goes in place of that. You know, what do I have to, totally... up to get that? But it's uh, I love the RS6 a lot. So just thrilled that they brought it here. Hope they bring one more one more year. I, I had heard they're going to bring three model years, but I don't know if they are or not. But uh, uh, I, I know that books just closed on the second year, so I don't say what I've, where I've heard it, or who I heard it from. I would think the person who told me would know. I'll just say that. Yeah, I heard we'll get the facelift. Okay. And and twenty twenty five. Oh, oh, great. Okay, that's exciting. I, if, if hopefully that turns out to be accurate, but I'm uh, just excited. My color is no longer available as a stock oh, isn't color. It? Yeah, Navarro so Blue is in the in the next is in the next. Yeah, and it's funny because the guys at Audi Seattle called me and they're like, "Hey, do you want to trade? <laughs> get you, we'll get you a twenty-two if you want." I'm like, "No, I'm fine with mine, even though I've got the round bottom wheel and like all the stuff because I got mine so early. I was kind of right. stuck with whatever was going on, and I haven't done any really modifications yet to it. I might opt to get the square bottom wheel just because I think they're cool, but um, yeah. I've just done PPF and tint." just cosmetic stuff i haven't done any anything else i'd like to do the lowering because i think they look better a little lower yeah yeah, yeah. but i also need it to raise up to get in my driveway and garage but um it's the trick right i yeah you know nish he's one of the other anniversary editions he keeps calling yeah. my car on all roads i'm like look nish <laughs> uh, i'm in the northeast i'm not in miami i gotta deal yeah. with bumps i've already yeah. lost a tire to a pothole right like i gotta yeah but, there's um, a yeah, there's a guy, Chris, uh, Avant Addict on uh, Instagram up in Bellingham here in Pacific Northwest. He's got a white one and he yeah. put uh, Audi Q5 wheels and tires on his for the winter. Oh. And it looked hilarious because they were totally inset, you know, just looked like a, one of those railroad cars, you know, that yeah. trucks go on the railroad tracks. Um, but he said it was totally functional because it didn't spray a bunch of crap up on the sides. And he goes to the mountains a lot. So he's like, it worked perfectly. I was like, oh, uh, if you don't mind, I know you were trying to, uh, to, to it, go on to the third hour. Talk to me. I looked into winter tires, right? Lived in the Northeast. I yeah. ended up doing, get them. <laughs> well, get? so I, I did 22s cause they make a, so I, we, you know, I, I was able to pick up a second set of like the silver optic wheels, like came on the anniversary um, nice. at a pretty good price from Audi Wilmington. They had a customer who took them off. So like I, I put winter tires on my, my one set that's got some, curb damage on and and um and but i looked and there was like so you can either do that you can do the 21 or for winter like we're talking like northern europe or canada offers there's like it looks like the 21 because you can't go smaller than that because of the brakes yep but you can it's like 
rather than what was it 10 and a half inches the stock wheel yeah i think it's narrower I, than that i think it's an eight yeah. and it's an oem fitment it looks like the 21 that goes on the car but it's like it's an eight mm. wide and and they sell them in like sweden and canada whatever and yeah. and parts by topher like topher was or chris was like i you know i can get you that get mm -hmm. you that wheel if you really want it like yeah i kind of do but at the same time it seems like overkill for pennsylvania we don't we get some snow we don't get that much snow but yeah. like the little bit of snow i got this year the 22s actually weren't i thought because of the width they would be like skis and useless but they actually were not terrible oh, that's so, good here yeah i yeah. i haven't been able to get winners yet <clears throat> and i also decided to wait till i wear out the current rubber before i yeah. do anything on the wheel wheel side of things but i'll probably do what you did is throw the winners on the existing wheels i have and then maybe get some aftermarket uh, wheels to throw summers on or something i'll tell you too that the ones i got tyrac had there were two models winners last winter and uh i'm trying to remember which one i got um it was the cheaper one is pirelli and i think i'm trying to remember what the brand was that had the other one um that was less priced Continental. Continental. yeah because i think, I think it's just continental and pirelli are the only two is well That's michelin it. too i guess but Continental and, the time and Pirelli are the from, 22. yeah, because from Audi, you can get the Continental or the Pirelli, right? Or the Pirelli. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Michelin may by now, because like, I think that they now make P4S for it and whatever else, but like, um, but, and I, I'm a big fan of Michelin. I usually get them, but so I went with Continentals this time around. I had, I, I was a little lazy on my air pressures. I blew one hitting a pothole and uh, I didn't have many miles on it. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to replace it. I was literally able to. I, while I was waiting for AAA to come flatbed the car home, because I wasn't that far from home, I got on the phone and called uh, Tyrac. I was able to get through like my like my road hazard warranty submission and got another tie ordered. And then I called the warehouse in Delaware and was like, guys, like I, my wife had like, a, we were taking my kid on a birthday thing the next weekend. And it was, this was literally Thursday. It's like, I need to get this car back on the road tomorrow. And they literally, yeah. I ordered it probably... I, when I called the warehouse, it was probably three in the afternoon on Thursday. And I had it by 11 a.m. Friday wow. at my house. And we were on like my Audi, Audi mechanics for got me in, got it back on. And I was good to go in less than 24 hours. It was amazing. So that's shocking. That's awesome. Not not in the middle of nowhere. Route 66, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd have probably yes. carried a spare knowing yeah. the way I my luck goes. Yeah. I'd have probably taken one with me. But yeah, that was the only like I mentioned, that was the only thing I was worried about. But yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, wonderful to catch up with you, man, Steve. We Great did it. We crossed over in a, into a third hour after all. Um, yeah, apologies. I could nerd no, out all okay. day. I appreciate hey, you nerding out with me. I warned you. I could go four <laughs> hours. You know, I'm not as robust yeah. as Scotto, who could go six hours, but I could go. I yeah. could go. Um, but anyway, always entertaining great with, with both of you. you. So, yeah, thank you. All right. Well, take care, and uh, we'll be in touch, I guess, if you need anything else from me. Sounds good. See all you, right. man. Th thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye.